All right. We all ready? Yeah, baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's go. Okay. And welcome to Indie Venture, a podcast about indie games. Every two weeks we'll venture out to find the most interesting, creative and exciting games by independent creators across PC, PlayStation, Xbox and Switch, as well as revisiting old favourites to grant them the honour of being immortalised within the prestigious Indie Venture vault. In an industry obsessed with AAA titles, we're here to highlight the small games you might have missed. You can expect reviews, discussions about upcoming releases and episodes with unhinged themes as we embark <laughs> on our quest to introduce you to your new favourite game. I'm Liam Richardson, a former games journalist from Rock Paper Shotgun, who now covers indie games on his YouTube channel, 7 Out of 10. I'm Rebecca Jones, a former Rock Paper Shotgun staffer who is still a games journalist, but now at VG247. Hi, I'm Rachel Watts, a freelance journalist who's been writing about video games for seven years now, and was most recently the former reviews editor of Rock Paper Shotgun. How did we all meet? It's a mystery. <laughs> We're here. We're here. <laughs> Welcome right. to Indie Venture. We did it. It's another podcast. We haven't made a bloody another one. <laughs> Is it going to be like one of those things though that when we mentioned the old one, like we could like really awkwardly like bleep it out? Oh like, my god! It's been a race. I was going to say, how coy are we planning to be? Like, do we just acknowledge it up top, or do we? Do we play I think it, we're probably, I think we're fine to acknowledge it personally. <laughs> I, I think but. we should. I think so too. So this is it. This is our new venture, indie venture. How mm-hmm. are we both feeling about this brand new podcast? Extremely I mean, excited. I've yes. been missing this so much. It's been, what, a couple of months since we last recorded? Yeah, I've missed chatting to you two so much. It's exactly. been about two months, I think. Yeah. Pretty much the like day, I, actually, I think. Yeah, two months. Like, I play a game and I'm like, I need to talk about this on... Oh... And now, we can actually talk about it again. Here we go again. I'm so excited your ple- to your listening thoughts. pleasure. About two weeks after we uh, last recorded our last episode of another podcast, <laughs> I, I did think to myself, like, oh, I wonder what Rebecca and Rachel are, are like doing at the moment. Like, what are they watching? What are they reading? What are they playing? <laughs> like, oh, I know, I became so right? accustomed to just knowing everything about <laughs> your lives and media yeah. consumption. So I'm glad to finally have this back. <laughs> Wait, you guys don't sit alone in your offices, like just pretending to talk to the other two about like hyperfixations and other indie stuff, or is that just me? <laughs> okay, do you genuinely do that? Because I do a little bit. So. <laughs> I may have been uh, walking around the house before I made dinner, uh, practicing talking about some things. Today. Oh, I do that all the time <laughs> when I go and make my tea. <laughs> yeah, oh, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I've also been listening to old episodes of the other podcast uh, and just sort of soaking it in. Anyway, yes, we're back. This is a a big podcast about indie games. We're going to be releasing new episodes every two weeks. We're going to be talking about all indie games on all platforms. It's going to be a fantastic time. And this episode, for episode one, we're going to talk about a couple of indie games we've been playing over the last few weeks. We're going to dive into them. We're going to tell you why you should play them and why we love them. And then we'll end the episode, as we always will, with our hyperfixations, the things that we just can't stop bloody thinking about. And we're going to tell you all about them. 
So, gang, should we do what we do best and talk, talk about Disney characters? Should we? T- <laughs> <laughs> Fucking talk about Disney some- characters. I mean, we had a really, really good convo going about Baldur's Gate 3 romance options and then we realised we weren't recording. So I feel like the energy's there. Yes. The energy is there, yes. P- people familiar with our previous podcasts uh, may be aware of a little joke we used to have about Friday afternoon recordings and how unhinged they are. Oh, I'd actually mm-hmm. forgotten that. Gang. Oh, get ready for Friday night. It's half eight on a Friday night. Hell yeah. After hours. Podcast this recording. Podcast after hours. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah Rebecca's Rebecca's boost up. a glass of rosé. Yeah. <laughs> She's I had lash. a 0% beer. <laughs> and I've got squash. <laughs> yeah. Also in, got in a sippy cup. A lot of water. In, not drink. No, a water bottle. A drink. <laughs> <laughs> no, hold on. I, sippy cup. Why was that, why is that the first thing you thought of? I forgot. Is it even a sippy cup? <laughs> it's a water bottle, but it's not. It's got like a it's one of the nozzle. Popper tops. Yeah. Popper nozzle. top. Popper nozzle. Pop and oh, oh my god. Yeah, it's basically a water bottle, but I'm a child, so I called it a sippy cup. Also, oh, yeah, it's double I... concentrate, um, double concentrate um, summer fruits. Very the best del- squash. Delicious. Correct. Yes. Yeah. The, the correct best, decision. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I thought you said papa top for a second. A papa oh. nozzle. God, this I feel like I've been hit by a car. Right. This is not <laughs> six minutes in. This is where we're at already. Yes. Oh, just... Nozzle is a weird word. I was just thinking Nozzle's that. not a great word. Yeah, not a fan of it. Yeah. <laughs> Two Zs. Ooh. I don't yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I can't, I can't like it. Nozzle makes it even more, <laughs> more Oh no. Oh no, this is the level. This is where we're at. Hell Rebecca, yeah. Rebecca, what's your, what's your preferred squash choice? Are you a squash drinker? Ooh, um, yes. You know, I wasn't for a long, long time. And actually, literally this month, I have bought a bottle of squash for the first time, possibly in my adult life. <laughs> oh my God, talk I, us you through know what, that. Right? I, I was, need to know. I was like, I'm going to ask Rebecca about squash, expecting to get nothing from it. Like, I thought you'd be like orange and I'd be like, sweet, Done. let's talk about indie games. You've never, what What do you mean? In your adult life. I just don't really, it's not something that ever occurred to me to buy. Um, but when I was so home. Do you, do you just drink water then? Yeah, I just drink water usually. Yeah, when I was home for my birthday a couple of weeks ago, my parents had some really nice squash. And so when I went to the supermarket, I got, I got some peach squash. Oh yeah, peach is so, good. Peach squash, yeah. wow. Ooh, was it Robinson's? That's a good choice. I think it is, yeah. Love that, love yeah. that. <laughs> that's my quite God. rogue. Oh, Robinson's. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, peach is peach is a rogue choice. Peach is good. I, I like. I think it's peach and raspberry, which is mm, two of my favorite Ooh. fruits. So. Oh, that's very very nice. That's yeah. the real summer fruits, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> any hot hot squash takes, Liam? Do I have any hot squash takes? No. I uh, so our mutual friend Rachel Zion, who works for Nintendo Live, mm. when he came over to London for the first time a few weeks before that, we were talking on Discord, and I was drinking squash, and he was like, "What are you drinking? What is that?" very oh, lightly course. coloured glass of water you're drinking and i was like what's well, squash never had squash before in the u.s i don't think it's a thing yeah it's not a thing right because they can grow fresh fruit there where traditionally we can't oh. do that here very well <laughs> so that's why we have diluted ah. squash so when he came to london he must have just been so fascinated by this concept of a concentrated diluted squash <gasps> diluty by the way as my family call it i thought it was called diluty until I went to uni and then everyone Dilute-y. laughed at me. <laughs> Dilute. I mean, that is... <laughs> <laughs> Dilute is not a great word, is it really? 
This is, it's like nozzle territory. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Sipping like diluted kind of... from Papa's nozzle. So, <laughs> oh God! Why? Okay, this has to stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm drawing the line here. This is an indie games podcast. Oh. <laughs> Somebody mentioned a video game. Actually, no way. <laughs> I, I refuse. I, I brought up Baldur's Gate 3, so I am the one who has technically kept us on track. It's not an indie game, yep. but well I drew only my video a game. game anyone's mentioned so far. In <laughs> Do you 10 mention minutes. a game we can have 45 minutes of bullshit? <laughs> so Zeon comes to London, he buys a bottle of Robinson's yes. Fruit Squash. Right, right. Yes. He then sends me a video of it. And when he sends me the video of it, if he's listening to this, Zeon, I'm so sorry. On the back of the bottle, you might not know this, it says how many tablespoons of squash to put in the glass. Tablespoons? So measured, yeah. So he measured it out with the tablespoon. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Which was just that. so endearing a thing uh, to do. And then he took yeah. a sip and he was like, what is? It's just weak fruit juice. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, welcome to Britain. I hope you have a lovely time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's kind of cute. Tablespoons, though, come on! I always it. thought it was just like parts to water, like one part squash to six parts water. I didn't realize there was a six parts a water. Is that what it's meant to be? Oh, I do like fifty-fifty. Yeah, I, mine's quite strong. Mine is quite yeah. strong as well. It doesn't taste of anything if it's just you don't want don't want a weak drink, do you? That's true. When I was at uni, when I used to do vodka shots, oh god, when I used to do vodka shots, I immediately oh, no. used to take a swig from a double. Double concentrated squash bottle to make sure it like masked it, and maybe I talked about this in that that's probably not be named podcast, but like the, the kind of shots we used to take with vodka and straight squash, and I named it the nipple twist because the face you would make it would you know evoke one's nipples being twist. I, yeah, I get it. Cute I, indie games. Indie games. That- <laughs> oh, and it was milk and vodka. That was a sour teat. Oh, Jesus, that's disgusting. Oh, God. (laughs) Sometimes you run out of mixes and you raid your uni fridge to see... You drink it Just neat vodka, please. Absolutely, I'm not drinking anything straight. You drink it straight before you put milk in it. Did it not used to curdle? (laughs) Not if you did it fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) This is... This is horrific. Welcome, welcome back. (laughs) But also, if you're new, welcome. Welcome. To this... If if you liked what just happened, then we're going to get on fine, basically. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, the first podcast we did, I think the first two episodes weren't entirely accurate as to what the next 13 were. Oh, yeah. so, yes, <laughs> true. Actually. At least we're going in at the level we'll continue. We were very the much the settling existence. in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's the thing is, it's like the, the sort of full transition from colleagues who were sort of friendly with one another and decided to do a project together to... Mm-hmm. Like friends who no longer have a HR department holding back that more bizarre statements is going to really be <laughs> fantastic. Absolutely, it's really fantastic. be a tidal change in all of this. I feel. <laughs> I think we should set set up a Patreon, and the only stretch goal is we will hire an independent HR department. <laughs> <laughs> right? Should we talk about some indie games? Let's do it. Sure, why not? <laughs> Is there going to be a little music section here? If you sing a sting, we don't have to pay any money. If you, oh, you make okay. a sting right now. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay, I settled <laughs> in. Oh, I saw the moment you decided not to there. I saw <laughs> it in your eyes. <laughs> the thing with 
me is it's very in the moment. Like I think if you ask someone to be like, mm. sing a song, I think mm. you know when it comes more naturally. What can I yeah. say? Yeah, yeah. Can't force creativity, can we? So, yeah. No. <laughs> Don't you pop and lock at me. <laughs> oh, but I'm excited. <laughs> Oh, I'm so, I'm so happy we're doing this. I know. I've missed you both so much. Right, who's going right. first? Yes, which which uh, Rebecca? Why don't you go first? Yes, what yes. Have you oh, been playing. What have I been playing? Oh my goodness, what have I been playing? Well, actually, let's be real. Let's be perfectly honest. As we as we mm-hmm. established before we started recording, what I've actually been playing mostly since we last spoke is Baldur's Gate three with a little bit of Honkai Star Rail sprinkled <laughs> in, which is not exactly the stuff of the indie venture podcast. Can I just? As an aside, I do this thing in my head where I get a thing right, but because I have very low self-esteem, I then try and correct (laughs) the wrong thing. And so I thought Indie Venture, and then I was like, that must be the old name, and nearly said the old name of the podcast. Oh my God. I think that's going to happen a lot. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I think it is. No, I'm like, I'm I'm terrible for that all the time. But yes. Um, Yeah, they're not very Indie Venture games, but I have been playing some Indie games as well because it's been a couple of months. Um, one thing I did want to mention actually, um, before I get onto what I've mainly been playing is that I got a Steam Deck for my birthday. Uh, mm, yeah. fantastic Steam Deck. And the second game I played after Aperture Desk Job, because that's the first thing that you have to play when you get a Steam Deck. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. the first thing I played was, uh, Animoiapolis by a friend of the oh. podcast, Andrew Quist. Andrew Quist. <laughs> Andrew Quist. <laughs> I am so, I'm genuinely trying to like, the thing is right. It's a really good game. Like I, I played it back when it came out in, in March and really enjoyed it, but mm. it kind of didn't make a huge impression on me at the time. But I found that I was thinking about it loads afterwards. I was like, this is going to be a really good Steam Deck replay. And it has been so far. I'm about halfway through. Nice. Um, Interesting. But also I'm like, genuinely, I really want to be like, Andrew Quist makes good chill horror games. And like, you should follow his work and stuff. But also I know every time we say Andrew Quist, we're going to have to go into the bit. <laughs> Why are we... <laughs> I mean, we all love the name Andrew Quist to like a, a high degree. If, if, if you're a new um, listener um, on a previous podcast that will not be named, we once said Andrew Quist's name repeatedly amongst ourselves under the impression that no one was listening, which is a trap we fall into as a trio all the time. And then poor Andrew Quist found that clip and shared it on Twitter and was like, this is, this is a bit odd. He was a fantastic sport about the whole thing. Yeah, he was he such was a great, good sport genuinely. Such a lovely guy. Um, and yeah, yeah. Animoiapolis, very good on... It's not It's not um, verified on the Steam Deck, but it is a really good okay. really good Steam Deck play. So I recommend that. But nice. mainly what I've been playing since we last spoke is I did the, I did the double bill of uh, new for 2023 indie games that give me Life is Strange vibes. I played A Space for the Unbound and Goodbye Volcano High. Mm. Yes. And I actually yeah. finished them both in time to talk about them on this podcast, which is... Amazing. I never do that. I never finish Hell games. Yeah. <laughs> I never finish games, but I have this time. So yeah. Oh, how to, how to tackle this? Because I really sort of like, I didn't deliberately play them back to back. It was just sort of a happy coincidence. But because I mm. ran them together and they have so many shared themes, I've kind of like mm. assessed them as a pair. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not quite sure how to tackle them separately, if that makes sense. Interesting. Okay. Because as I, as I say, they, they both have really Life is Strange vibes, which ha- we are now officially into the longest we've ever been without a Life is Strange game since the start of the Life is Strange franchise. So clearly as a mega fan, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting my fix. Desperate. You know, yeah. Which is good. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, so Space for the Unburned. You've played that, Rachel, right? You reviewed it mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. it came out in January. Mm-hmm. And uh, Liam, you haven't played it yet, I believe. If I'm I have not. Right. No, I, I still need to buy it, yeah. So yeah, I did enjoy it. I had a cry at the end, as you must. It's a mm. very evocative, like the, the pixel art is gorgeous and the setting is just so mm. well put together. So it's a sort of high school romance set in the 1990s in Indonesia about a boy and a girl who both develop like superpowers. Mm. They're like teenage sweethearts, they develop these superpowers and it's kind of them. See, it's one of those games where if you go beyond that, it's kind of spoilery to say Mm, too much because it it very quickly takes some turns that I wasn't expecting. I thought it was going to be a a lot more like straightforwardly that premise, whereas it it goes some places and it goes to those places quite quickly. I would say that of the two of the two games, the two, as I'm saying, I don't want to keep, I, I'm not trying to like force a comparison here or yeah. do down these games by comparing to that Life is Strange. I just do genuinely think that they had that really good vibe of a thing that I like. So the comparison is like right in my mind a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of the two games kind of on this theme that I've played recently, I would say probably A Space for the Unbound was the one that I liked less. Yeah, oh. overall, in the end, I yeah. would think that for you. I don't want to. I don't want to get into it too much because I do think it's really it's a great game. It's worth playing. The ending utilized a couple of tropes that I don't love as mm. much, and for me, that kind of like knocked some of the appeal off of it in sort of the second half of the game. And I will, I will give it this: it didn't go for the twist ending. It takes its its turns very gradually through the story. Mm. But yeah, I was a little bit like, I don't know. It's really hard to like not spoiler this, but I think I will probably say in the most general terms that I can that I have a preference for stories when they are doing something on both a literal and a metaphorical level to keep those two elements in balance. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. And a space for the unbound kind of picked a side. Interesting. I think you should go into it a little bit because that is such an interesting point that I, I kind of do want you to expand upon. I wouldn't worry too much about spoilers, but like, I, I just, I, I want to hear this take from you so bad. Oh, that's okay. such a good, that's such a good thought. <laughs> that is, yeah. Is there a way to skirt around it in broad terms, maybe? Or so yeah, I, I love stories where there's this like balance between supernatural or paranormal or fantasy tropes and mm-hmm. real world social issues, right? And there's like that. Mm-hmm. I think tells in a lot of the things that I I bring to the pod and to, you know, my general It interest. does, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like, for example, I mean, obviously, again, Life is Strange, perfect example. It's it's A lot of it is about being, like, a young person or a queer person or an otherwise marginalised person in modern society. And yet they're using superpowers to kind of explore that. And this has a similar thing, where it's using superpowers to explore issues around, like, mental health and bullying and, you know, mm-hmm. things that teenagers ordinarily experience. And... For me, with stories like that, and I consume a lot of them, I get annoyed if they then go, oh, but it was all, you know, the metaphor wasn't real. Mm. Or, oh, it wasn't oh. this, it was all just the metaphor all along, if if you get me. Yeah, yeah I get you. I, I've seen people talk about it in terms of things like trying to do fantasy explorations of like racism and homophobia as well. And it's like, don't 
just be like, oh, it's about being a gnome in a world controlled by orcs. It's like, no, you can yeah. be both things. You can be about being a gnome in a world controlled by orcs and about being queer in a heteronormative society. You can do both in the story. And it, in my opinion, makes it a more interesting story. So I get frustrated when stories then take away one layer or the other to like wrap up the ending a bit more simplistically. And I won't say which way a space for the unbound falls, but it, it does mm-hmm. pretty, pretty firmly pick a side in the end. That's yeah. interesting. That, that's fascinating. <laughs> I think about this stuff so much. Yeah, because I, I felt like the whole time it was <laughs> it was treading like those two boundaries. It, it was, was yes. it's very poetic in some moments and in some moments it's like devastatingly real. Mm. And that line, that kind of like magical realism is like really cool. And then like Rebecca said, like at the very end, it's like, oh no, we're this. And you're like, Oh, can, we, that... can we not have just kept it in this kind of like yeah. maybe if uh, kind of space and it didn't it, yeah. yeah like Rebecca said it picked a side it's, it's really explicit okay mm. right yeah it's still a beautiful game still it really is, worth yeah. experiencing but it was the sort of thing where like I got to the end and I was like thinking all the way through that I was going to go back and do another playthrough and 100% it so I could see the secret ending and I got to the end I was like I'm looking it up on YouTube you know it was one of those where you're like mm. I don't quite have the drive to go and play it through again yeah girl 100 percent right, okay. it that keepy uppy mini game oh i swear bullshit. to god <laughs> <Absolute> <laughs> <laughs> that was my other my other criticism it's my only other criticism like i sound like i'm being really harsh on this game it's a good game you should it's play lovely. it it's, it's really lovely, lovely. a couple of the things that were like collectible side quests just felt like they were there for the achievement and locked off the like golden ending if you didn't get them i'm like in a game about mental health do you not make your good ending locked off behind a really difficult skill-based <laughs> mini game like yeah <laughs> That is such a good point, though. Yeah, but it's you're like, right. It's like one of them is like, pet all the cats in the neighbourhood. And you're like, absolutely. I will right? 100% go out of my way to find and pet every single cat. But this like, keepy-uppy minigame, like, I get what they were going for. Like, like Rebecca, like, you could talk about this as well. But like, the game is very much a nostalgia trip. Like, it makes you feel like you've lived somewhere where you've never been in Indonesia. Like I've never been to Indonesia. I felt like I knew this neighborhood at the end of this game. Like it's so mm. personal. And a lot of these mini games explore that. So this, this like town had like lots of cats. There's like an old arcade where you can like, one of the mini games is like, um, like a beat em up that you have to get the high score. And like, yeah, these things like bottle cap collecting, sticker collecting, and keepy uppy football the it's like all the others are great <laughs> these inspire like a lot of very nostalgic emotions but this this keepy uppy minigame is <laughs> i'm just like oh, i'm so glad you felt the same way because actually when you told me you'd like uh finish it i was like <laughs> yeah. the keepy uppy minigame oh yeah I Hell's at one mini point game. i messaged you and i was like did yes. you really struggle with the stupid football bit because <laughs> i just couldn't do it it was like you're meant to get what 50 50 like skill checks in a row yeah. and like it's not even tutorialized literally my record was one because literally there's nothing on the screen giving you any feedback. You're not even told what key to press. The input lag was kind of like an issue for me on yeah. keyboard. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck? Oh, wow. So I gave up on that totally. But yeah. Yeah, big butt. It's a, yeah. it's a very minor thing. That's what so, is essentially... such a small part of the game, but it does lock you out of like the ending, <laughs> essentially, which is really annoying. Hmm. Um, but oh, I would also sucks. like to say, yeah. on the other hand, because it sounds like I've just, I've literally just picked over my two problems with this game in like great detail. <laughs> so to provide yeah. balance, the central relationship is really sweet. 
Like mm. the characters are fantastic. There's a when you're working out what the story is, it's got that sort of level of like you know how there's some characters who have their name in their dialogue box in like a special color. And mm-hmm. when you start to notice that and you're like why is that? Who are these like what why are these people important? Yes. You know, and like the theory craft it was one of those where the theory crafting was really satisfying and like just enjoying spending time with the characters. And so often when that happens, it is hard genuinely, I think, for the for the devs to find an ending that will be as satisfying as the many, many different theories that you've built up over the course of 15 hours or whatever you spent with the game. Mm. Um, which I think does not negate the fact that I personally didn't like the ending very much, but it's also like I acknowledge that, yeah, I was there with way too many expectations and theories by the end. And that is that is a credit to, you know, the writing on that yeah. game. It sounds fantastic. I mean, when Rachel told us about it earlier this year, it sounded amazing. And that that's like two, you know, big green ticks next to this mm-hmm. game's name now. So I, I can't finish 2023 without playing this game, right? I need to just Oh, it's, it's good. It it's definitely worth, like I say, play it once for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of the line for me. It's like play it once. I'm not sure it'll become one that I replay every couple of years. Would probably be the yeah. the line for me on that. Cool. So that was game one. Yes. Hell game yeah. Two. Shall I go straight into Goodbye Volcano High, which I finished literally last night? Yes. 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 I'm keen to yes. hear your thoughts. Loved this one. I really mm-hmm. did love this one. I think this, for me, this has got like not overall game of the year energy necessarily, but like if we're doing a top 10, I feel Ooh. like it could easily belong in like the top 10 games of the okay. year. Um, I've got a feeling it's going to get some BAFTA nominations for acting. It's just, yeah, it's just oh, a, yeah. a vibe yeah. I get I, of it. I would completely agree with that. Particularly, I want to say because I'll look really smart in six months' time if this pans out. Um, the guy who <laughs> plays Reed. I think Ooh, does yeah. such a good job. I mean, Lachlan Watson, I love them. Like they were obviously the big draw as the star of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina mm-hmm. as the main character. But the guy who played Reed, whose name I did know, and I do apologize, it's nine o'clock at night and I've forgotten <laughs> what his name <laughs> is and I can't reach my keyboard to look. Um, but yeah, he just did such a great job. He, um, Liam, I know you're quite early on in the game. So I don't think it's a spoiler to say that like there's a Dungeons and Dragons section later mm-hmm. on. Where oh, he's... that's already, I'm two and a half hours in. It's already oh, okay. alluded to that. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool. So he's the GM. Mark so basically, Witten is the name, by the way. Mark Witten, thank you so much. He's like the GM, so he's the only one voicing the D&D sections. Um, and he does such a great job in those sections. As the only, suddenly the only actor mm-hmm. delivering lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, against like a, a bunch of other, like they do like little 
sort of similar sound effects, don't they, for the rest of the characters? Yes, they bits. do. Like Animal Crossing style like, as well. Like, <laughs> and then he'll just talk back to him. It's like, he was so good in those. And I, I think probably because of that, he also, I think, must have the majority of spoken lines in the game. And I just thought yeah. he, was, he was so good. And I was like, oh, I hope I hope to see him get some recognition come awards season because I was just really, really into his performance. Actually, by the end of the game, you know how you got the little relationship panel? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He was my bestie. We were like so close. He was oh, right on the cute. inner circle. Everyone else was a little bit further out, but he was like, <laughs> he was my best, best oh, friend. We've done it again. We haven't actually said we what haven't this game is. said what this game is. Oh my God, no. I'm, <laughs> we can tell we've not done this for a couple of I've months. just realised, no, yes. No, no. Um, goodbye, Volcano High. Yeah, it's another, it's another teen, teen drama. Um, as... The name sort of implies it's about dinosaurs, but roll with it. So it's, yeah, basically modern teens, but they're dinosaurs, anthropomorphized dinosaurs. Um, They're just going into the last year of high school and dealing with all the things that that means for a teen in the 2020s. But then, and it's really actually genuinely quite disturbing in places because of the fact that like they clock the meteor, right? That's going to come and wipe out most of life on on earth as in you know the extinction level event that did wipe out the dinosaurs and so it's um it's the story about the last year of high school but also if you know that the last year of high school is probably going to be the last year of your life Mm. and it's like it gets quite heavy in places but i think it was really well done for all that yeah it's i'm really into apocalyptic fiction it's probably worth saying so i like really really vibed with that level of it less into dinosaurs to be fair, and there was a point. <laughs> yeah. There was a point where I found myself like, would I have enjoyed this more if they just made it like an apocalypse story with human characters? But then I realised, I suppose the point of making them dinosaurs, though, at least in part, is like you actually do know how this ends as the player. Mm. Like, yeah. it's if it was just like modern, modern day setting with human characters, you'd be like, there's gonna be some cop out at the end. There's gonna, they're not really gonna like end the world in this high school romantic drama but because they are dinosaurs you're like oh no this is this is pretty much what's happening <laughs> that's you uh. know you sort of go in knowing how the story ends in spite of how surreal it is to have them be modern teenagers at the same time and i won't say for liam's sake who hasn't finished it whether or not that is the actual conclusion but it's it's heavily implied i think it's fair to say that you know where this is going so yeah yeah. Yeah, the dinosaur thing kind of starts out as this as this kind of like cutesy kitschy, oh, queer dinosaurs, lol. Uh so cute. And then as these teens realize that this could be like the last year and potentially their future plans could be completely and utterly like wiped off the face of the planet. I think that sentiment becomes more real like and at the end I'm like, am I feeling things for this pterodactyl in Doc Martens and Fishnets. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, I love the characters by the end. It's only, it's a really short game. It's only about six hours to sort yes. of complete it. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. So yeah, it's sort of like a kind of interactive movie rather than visual novel because it's, it's all voiced throughout, I guess. And then mm. there are rhythm sections because the main characters are musicians. And so you play these shows that they're playing with these actually fairly difficult rhythm games, I thought. Yeah, I failed the second one. Oh night. no. Did you? I, I managed yeah. to pass them all, but it was difficult because I don't know about you, but I was playing on PS5 and at points, I swear to God, it's like you have to have the sticks in two different places at once. And I was just like, this yes. is fucking impossible. Yes. It's quite a complicated rhythm action game for for what it is. Yeah. This is making me feel really good because <laughs> Guess Who Played on Steam and got like the, the achievement pop-up that was like, 
get 90% or over. Get 90% over on all but one song. I mean, oh, 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 well, okay. It was yours truly. And I used controller as well because keyboard and mouse was awful. But yeah. oh, I can imagine. Now I feel bad because I'm like, if we're doing this, I actually got 90% or over on all of the songs. Well, there we go. <laughs> you obviously were good at it then. Well, as, a, uh, as someone who sees all aspects of a game, I can say with certainty that if you fail one, the game accommodates for it and the characters talk about it and interact with each other. I'm, I'm good too. I'm part of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can... You can fail them and it'll be fine. Yeah. No, it's it's not that is a good that's genuinely a good thing about this game is that it doesn't lock anything off. Um like the rhythm games mm. are quite hard but their progress is not reliant yeah. on on them. Um but yeah, my my one thing was the last the last rhythm game like the fifth the fifth song is the hardest one, which I thought was like I thought that the the contest should have been the hardest one because that was the one with the most stakes. And like the final one's kind of a victory lap for the characters. I'm like, come on, make it a little bit easier. Mm. And also, can I just say, going into that rhythm game while I was still like actively in tears from the conversation <laughs> between the kids and their parents right before they went on stage. Mm. I was oh like, God. this is just mean. <laughs> I was like, I can't see how am I meant to, like it's hard enough to keep track of all the different things. Cause it's like, it uses the whole screen, doesn't it? To flag yeah. up the controls you're using for this rhythm action game. Yeah. And I was like, I can't bloody see. Cause I'm actually crying <laughs> so hard. Oh, <laughs> so I just had to be like, oh God, we're doing this, doing this rhythm action game now. So yeah, genuinely that would be my one complaint. Is that I was just like that. That was just mean at the end. Mm. <laughs> I I must admit the one thing I will say about the rhythm bits. I was playing it with a friend of the podcast, Yolanda, and the button prompts for the songs will come up in the foreground, but in the background there's normally like story beats occurring, mm. and it can be quite hard to focus on both at the same time. Oh yeah, you just can't uh, get the story really when it's just flashing no. up behind this really intense mini game. Like yeah, absolutely. friend of the podcast Mick was with me for part of it, and he was like, "Are you getting any of this?" And I was like, "Nope, just looking at the uh, the button prompts." So. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I yeah. quite liked that. There was one bit where it was a montage, but the bits were there on stage and it's like almost like a music video and it's just them uh, performing. Right. Mm. I found, I really liked the music rhythm games. I thought I've mm. never seen, I've played quite a few rhythm games over the years. I've never seen this kind of mini, like trio of mini games on screen at the same time. The, the game kind of challenges you to move the joystick directionally whilst pressing buttons um, in another part of the screen, whilst also at opportune times, like moving your jo uh, two joysticks like down at the same time, like yeah. in, like you're strumming a guitar. So your attention is kind of diverted between different parts of the screen. And I I really liked that. I liked like when I was playing the, with the controller, I felt like I was like working my hands around an actual musical instrument, like, mm -hmm. like moving my mm -hmm. fingers and these... The music in this game also is really fucking good. So like, good, right? Don't don't it's call. Absolutely beautiful. It's kind of like this shoegazy pop, but also melancholic in tone. The kind of idea is that main character Fang has spent all summer finding a new sound for their yeah. band, and it's kind of the stuff they were doing before was very like teen fuck the world, punk kind of stuff. And now it's a lot more reflective, melancholy in tone. And this is something that puts them on, 
on the on the map. They want to compete in Battle of the Bands, and ultimately, Fang wants to at the end of their um, high school year. They want to go on tour with the band. Like they want to compete in Battle of the Bands, win it, and that will then project the band into like them touring and them performing on stages. And this is a, a, like not only something that Fang wants, but like it's something that their band members are also kind of like grappling with. Like maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe they do want to do that. But this is something that Fang is really passionate about. And this comes through the music, this kind of melancholy yeah. last mm. shot at success. And if yeah. this doesn't work out, they will have to change what they're doing. And also with the fact that this could be their last year, like yeah. th this catastrophic event is like a rumor at first, which then snowballs into something bigger. And this sense of urgency and melancholy is like something that's really felt within the characters and especially Fang, who is like your kind of vehicle throughout mm. the whole game. And mm -hmm. yeah, I just think their story is really great. Should we talk about like the, the queer and non-binary representation in this game? Because it is amazing. Oh, 100%. It's probably one of the best I've seen in a game, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I also, I just felt really proud. Well, maybe, maybe proud is not the right word, but very satisfied with the fact that like the character I called as Fang's love interest in the first scene is like the canon love interest. Oh, like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, that is just me. I think that's just my preferences being catered to in a rather... <laughs> <laughs> rather cynical way that I'm quite happy about it but yeah yeah genuinely it's like it's so so understated and yet so well done I think it just feels very authentic and I think yes. for teen games mm. Rebecca you're obviously our specialist on this somehow sometimes it's teen <laughs> teen tropes can be very dated this idea about yes. having jocks and dorks in this teen game there are no high school tropes there are mm, no, no there's no bullying true. there's no jocks there's no table discriminations like like it just feels like a very modern teen yeah. teen game and part of modern teen experiences is that this idea of gender identity and working out who you are and again this is something that fang experiences through the game yeah yeah absolutely what i love about it is it, it's presented in a way that isn't raised as like a thing i, I think it shows a they them sticker in the opening sort of mm -hmm, credit mm -hmm. sequence and then fang's brother comes in and, and he's referring to them as them and and all the fang's friends are and i was like okay great yeah like you say it feels very contemporary it feels very modern the way that these characters interact with each other over like group text and stuff is oh the group <laughs> text so, so good so accurate like mm -hmm. it's incredible like the memes they send to each the other memes, the way that yes. fang will jump between different chats and the social dynamics of fang will message one chat that has a person and that's in both <laughs> and they might only respond to one chat and not the messages in the other and sort of seeing fang's reaction to that it just feels very well observed mm. but what i thought was really interesting is how fang's parents yeah. will misgender them and will dead name them and I thought that was a really interesting thing to highlight as well. It sort of shows the older generation in also a very accurate light. Yeah, I think it's just a very, like you say, a very beautifully observed game about human behavior, which obviously is very funny because they're not humans. <laughs> they are dinosaurs with wings yeah. and, and, and beautiful, I don't know if you'd call them, horns maybe. Uh, they, some of them have horns for sure, one hundred percent. That's a Triceratops girl, like yeah, she, Trish, she's yes. rocking a horn. Yeah, Trish, yeah, like yeah Trish. Trish is great. So, 
two two things. I've only played two and a half hours of this. Yeah, what are your initial impressions? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's a very beautiful game. It's so high quality. It's mm. unreal oh, yeah. how oh, this yeah. looks. So I think this is more of a visual novel with mini games than it is an adventure game. I know that's like quite a subtle distinction, but I no, yeah. I think a I lot think that's of the game though. I don't from what I can tell is I don't have a huge amount of choice, even though I'm making choices. The game wants to tell me a specific story, mm-hmm. which is fine because what I really like about it is it plays with dialogue options in a really interesting way. Yes, talk about it. Speak on it. <laughs> yes. The second yes. it took us about half an hour to realize that the options you're choosing are more about Fang's inner monologue rather than the things they are going to say. Mm-hmm. And they play with this in a really great way by sometimes you'll hover over an option and the game will not allow you to choose it. So when the meteor is first observed and Fang watches a news report about this meteor that's incoming, they go to text their friends and you've got three options. I think one of them is like, make a joke. One of them is to kind of ignore it. And one of them is to say, I'm really scared. Mm -hmm. And if you hover over, I'm really scared, it fizzles out and becomes, I can't say that or something along those lines. It sort of implies it would be embarrassing for me to admit that. And again, going back to this, you know, idea of how well observed it is, it is so, I don't know, validating is the right word to use, but I think it, it just really highlights what it's like to be a teenager and to sort of overthink your own thoughts. And then as the mm-hmm. player to have that represented. And also some options might be like quite sharp to imply that you might be a little bit harsh to people. They might almost be like a bit fuzzy, which I've almost sort of, I feel like implies that maybe you're lying to yourself or you're almost aware mm. that your answer Ooh, might not mm. be based in reality. And I've never seen that before in, in, a, in, a, event, in a game like this. And it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's really, yeah, astounding stuff. I agree. I mean, it's like later on, I don't know if it's, it, it seems to sort of develop through the game or maybe I just noticed it more towards the end, but you'll get things like, you'll get the sort of more straightforward ones like sparkles for excitement or you'll get like sort of electric, yes. electric static for anger as well. If you can just like let loose and let Fang's annoyance with the situation kind of guide the way that they mm. deal with it. Um, you also get some options as well where you can get Fang to say something that they don't necessarily want to, but you have to pass like a skill check. Yes. Um, You've got to almost force it out, haven't yeah, you? By you do. Yeah, you do. And back sometimes triggers, they're so, so hard. Nice. I actually failed one of those. I timed out on one because um, so on PS5 it was the um, it was the R R two and L two buttons, and you have to hold one until it half fills the circle, and then hold the other until the circle completes. But there was oh. one where it was clearly something Fang really didn't want to say, but I really wanted them to say, and so I like held one. It wasn't completing properly, so I let it go. Tried to hold the other, and something happened. It like switched the order of the oh. input it wanted while I was trying to do it. And so I timed out on that one because I just like, there was clearly a way to do it, but you had to be so quick on your ability to react to the game, literally like reversing its own inputs, which I thought yeah. was a so really good, clever though. way of dealing with it like, really I is. really don't want to say this, but maybe I ought to, but then just yeah. not like, you know, and I, I was like, oh, am I annoyed that I didn't catch that? And I'm like, actually, that feels like very accurate to the character to have spent so long fumbling yeah. with the thought of should I or shouldn't I, shouldn't I have said this, yeah. that you kind of, the conversation gets away from you, which again, very, very realistic. Does it use the adaptive triggers on PS5? Does it have the tension in the triggers when you do that as well? Ooh, oh, I hadn't even... When it pushes back a little bit? Yeah, I does it push back? I thought about that. I think it does actually now that you mention it. Mm. I was so in it, I wasn't really even thinking smart. about it. But like, I think it might yeah. be. 
Um, yeah, there's, I mean, you get a lot of like the haptic feedback from the PS5 controller when you're playing Ooh, this. Yeah. Like, it's it's a very so, good one to play on PS5. Might be the best platform to play it on. I mean, we're I remember Deck, I told Rebecca, so. I was like, play on PS5 for sure. Yeah, it's actually cheaper on PS5 as well for some reason. I don't know why, but it's a little bit cheaper. So if you have oh, a PS5 you go. or if you're... If you have access to both platforms and you're wondering which to play on, I fully recommend the PS5. PS5. Yeah. I mean, we've all been in situations where we've picked a dialogue option and the character has said it and you're like, I did not, what? that did not <laughs> yeah. communicate to me that they, yeah. that Geralt yeah. would say, I'm like, oh, I'm playing The Witcher 3 and I'll pick like, oh, I'll help you. And then you pick it and Geralt says it in the most like cutting, sassly way. You're like, oh, why did you say it like that? And Volcano High, like it do- with these kind of like this new dialogue system, yeah, you it's like you feel your way through conversations instead of just reading words. It's interesting in that in a game filled with dialogue options, the communication that's strongest is wordless. It's yeah. how it's how you feel their feelings and see their inner thoughts. Honestly, it's how these games work anyway under the hood. So it's really turning potentially one of the weaknesses of the genre into a mm. strength, which I think is that, yeah, ooh, just that's a, a re- fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, working within, obviously, indie games are going to be more limited in their budget and their scope than, you know, I think most most of the games of this type that I've played have probably been like double A, you know, like you think like Telltale yeah. and Don't Nod and, and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And they've got a little mm-hmm. bit of a bigger budget. Um, but I've heard it said, I've might even have said it on a previous podcast before, but the, these games are often actually measuring your attitude rather than your actions, mm-hmm. because there's only so many ways a story can branch. Um, yeah. you know it will always be quite yeah. limited by that and so basically Goodbye Volcano High is like you're always going to get the same story with some minor differences mm-hmm. but it leans into that in a way that's really you know makes it interesting and innovative and makes you feel like you're getting to know the characters better because of the way it's using those limitations and yeah I mean I, I love watching video essays about how indie games innovate and you know use their limitations to innovate and I think that this is just a really classic example of that um, and it's also, so smart. the it art, is. the animation is just oh, ridiculous. As well. I Seamless. really cannot let us move on from this before I talk about how good that animation is. It's yeah. stunning. Do you think that the main characters are 3D models? I was trying to work this out. I feel that like they're 3D models on a 2D no background because the way that they move and they mm. look like, you know, it's 2D animation and some characters definitely are. But then I feel like Fang and their posse of you know close friends. This is a bit of a tech nerd point, <laughs> but I just even think that is like fascinating. I, I wonder if that's how they sort of got them to look so well animated, and the mouth movements are so good. It it's got such a distinct yeah. style. It's just so colourful and beautiful. And it's so yeah. fluid. The animation is it really is. Which really I think is. he might be onto something because you can't get it's it's seamless. Like yeah. the way yeah, these really characters is. are moving, it seems natural fluid and smooth all at the same time like there's yeah yeah, yeah i wouldn't be surprised if that is actually how it they, or some really, yeah way how they did it it really yeah. is an interactive movie that's like the best way that i can think to yeah yeah to like a cartoon yeah, network cartoon yeah exactly yeah. i mean it's like i mean you know they tried to make interactive movies a thing in the 90s and it kind of didn't really take <laughs> off in the just purely you're watching a film and kind of interacting with it in it you know but it's got what a very... about netflix's bandersnatch i was about to say Charlie Black Mirror episode, which is everyone's uh, favourite. Excuse me, we're using that as the best Netflix example and not the Boss Baby one. Oh, what's the one with um the survival one? 
oh, with what's his name? And you're in the wilderness and you have to survive against a bear oh, and a shark. Grills bear oh grills. What the f- yeah. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it now. I think Goodbye Volcano High. Best interactive movie I've ever played easily. Like, for the yeah. genre, it actually does what I want from that genre. And it's also six hours long. So, you know, that's, mm-hmm. a, you Good know, length. it's not quite a movie, but it's still like a reasonable interactive, like cinematic yeah. piece, yeah. I feel. I'm, so just, just one last thought from me. I can't do apocalypse fiction and I've never been able to. It's Completely always been. Completely understandable. Yeah. Let's get into yeah, it though. I, Why? I find, well, I don't know. I find it particularly disturbing i always very upsetting i always have mm. like one of the most affecting movies i've ever seen of, of all things is seeking a friend for the end of the world have you seen this it's oh the God. steve carell I, I do need to watch that i haven't seen it it's well it's got some very i mean i'm only two and a half hours into goodbye volcano high very similar themes in that it's about a meteor that's going to hit earth mm. and it just sort of observes what it's like i mean i think steve carell's wife just runs away when scientists fail to stop the asteroid and it becomes very apparent that the world is doomed and about to end in a couple of days. And it's about him meeting Kira Knightley and just sort of like developing this relationship over the course of a couple of days. Good movie. It's very hard hitting, even though it is kind of skewed as a black comedy. Mm-hmm. And there's been a couple of other, like Station Eleven, I found difficult to, to read. This was pre-pandemic. Obviously, there's a lot of parallels to the pandemic. Mm. So I'm, I'm going into this almost with a bit of nervousness. Mm. Of like, yeah, it might wreck you. Yeah, that's it might fair, wreck me. Yes, it might. But... I was trying to soften that blow, but no. It, yeah. No, I think I think it's going sometimes, to. I'm fine with it. Sometimes, I'm okay. you know, when you have to warn someone about something, it's just just good to do it in one big impact. Yeah, yeah I'm aware. Oh, yeah, real okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rip that bandaid off. <laughs> but one interesting thing when I've been playing it, and I'm at the point where, as I was saying, that the asteroid is just being seen, and it's sort of you're seeing how people are responding to it. I was reminded that this game was originally shown off at the, uh, I think it was the PlayStation 5, the first PlayStation 5 showcase in 2020. Yes. And it was really? set to release that year or early 21. And mm. then they delayed it in maybe 2021. They fully delayed it and they said that they were doing a full narrative rewrite. So this was after oh. the game was originally released. And when we were playing it last night, I said to Yolly, do you think they had to rewrite it because their version of how people would react to an apocalyptic scenario was undone by observing how we all reacted to a pandemic? It does feel like COVID so has to have influenced the narrative must design have done, choices right? a lot. It does. And I, I wonder how much of that like melancholia and the kind of stuff that we're talking about here, you know, is as much a reflection on on COVID. Uh, another, another question I have for the two of you, because you've both finished it, mm-hmm. is, and we've already spoken a little bit about, you know, literal and metaphorical readings of an event that occurs. <laughs> is there any read of this game that the meteor is a metaphor for leaving high school, for moving on from entering adulthood, or is it played more so as going through an event, a, period, a difficult period of your life while also facing, you know, imminent destruction? Like, how is it played? I think you can definitely read it both ways, which is why I personally thought that this was the the game out of the two that I've played that stuck the landing better. 
because interesting yeah i've without wishing Love to give these parallels by the way <laughs> <laughs> without wishing to give ending spoilers for volcano high it 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 never it never does like it never goes oh you know this is just an ordinary high schooler who hit their head and hallucinated everyone was dinosaurs for a year <laughs> you know it doesn't do that and it, it kind of doesn't um you know it doesn't pull back from either into like it's, it's clearly drawing the parallels but it's also like within the universe of the story it's a literal reading as well which is exactly how i like these things to be so i was very yeah very satisfied with that aspect of it yeah i i couldn't agree more I, and i think setting in a high school with teenagers this idea that the world is ending is something that is very bodily felt as a teenager. Yes. You're very emotional. Absolutely. Everything is heightened. People are screaming at you to sort out your future. And mm-hmm. to be honest, like it's one of the last points, potentially, I mean, you can change your life further down the road, but like it's a cross paths. Like it, these decisions are permanent. These will, mm-hmm. uh, these decisions you make are for the rest of your life. Like you, sometimes you can go down a road and not walk back. And teenagehood is like the best kind of teen movies and media explore that because again in adulthood you don't really get to experience that like you do when you're a teenager and having Mm. this like metaphor of something that is completely and utterly like a full stop and with the Mm. with the with the drama of being a teen and being like I don't know. There's something also quite comedic about it being like, oh yeah, it's a meteor that's going to like end the world and everything as we know it. And like teens are so like dramatic like that. I love that reading as well. Like, of course they're dinosaurs freaking out of a, of a, like, it's like, yeah, they want to go on tour. They want to be with their band and like, they can't because a meteor. Like, I love that. Like, I think there's just funny drama. There's, there's comedy in the tragedy. Absolutely. There are some great interactions between the two levels of the story because of that as well like there's a bit where so i think yeah the overachiever girl character yeah you know what i mean there's a there's a bit later on where she just says um you know she's talking about like she's really struggling to come to terms with the whole thing and she says i just wanted to finish something and i don't know why that was the line i think that hit me the hardest in the entire Mm. game was just like yeah, I mean, it was just it, it was that interaction between like the the real teenage stuff of being like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna finish high school and then you have to be like released into the adult world and then like all your structure's gone, which is something that you don't really mm-hmm. appreciate until it happens to you. You know, speaking yeah. from my thirty third year, like what the fuck happened there? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's also it was that sort of like reading. I think that was the point maybe where I kind of it clicked for me that this was also a literal apocalypse story for the characters. Mm -hmm. You know, when she's like, her freak out is that she's worked so, she has invested everything in a future that's now not going to happen. Yeah, it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah, it's like, you know, that's that's really hard hitting. But it it does also look at the way that you behave in, you know, in your teens. And like you say, the way that that influences you down the line. And, you know, whether Mm. you're a person who lived in the moment or whether you're a person who invested a lot in the promise of a future would have a huge mm-hmm. impact like has an impact on you whatever happens but also in this particular heightened situation and that's just yeah. yeah that's just what i love about this game is that it really does it really does do all the approaches and like i say yeah. it, do, it doesn't make it a freaking and it was a dream and we all had amnesia <laughs> like no one was a di- i'm just i'm so mad like non-specifically about stories that do that yeah that's funny also i love how many times we've said the word impact while discussing this oh, you know what else i'm just gonna say as um 
as my my new employer's Hoyaverse beat reporter, I have to say there is a Genshin Impact joke in this game, and I thought that that was that worked no on so many really? levels for me. I was so happy. Oh, really? <laughs> I've totally missed it. I don't play Genshin, so that went over my head. I think they were just punning on the fact that it's got impact in the, and it is kind of like oh, at the yeah. start of Genshin Impact, you are like a, a god thing that falls from the sky, and so the there sky, is like a bit of like yeah. a, you know, and like the the animation is often like a meteor coming down to earth and that's used quite a lot in that game um but there's just a bit in the in one of the text channels near the end where a character says i can't believe we lost the 50 50 to the meteor and someone underneath is like i can't believe you're still playing the stupid gacha games when the world's literally ending and like <laughs> as a genshin impact oh, player bit. i was like oh, i get it i get this reference that's funny <laughs> it was cute it, it made me smile sounds like we'll be talking about this game towards the end of the year when we do our inevitable I best indies so. of 2023 list so mm-hmm. nice good i'm glad we paired those together because the parallels <laughs> are really interesting and very happy that our resident life is strange liker has played mm. some life is strange likes and is, is reported from the front lines so, so thank you for that <laughs> I do it's nice. you can't see it but there we go <laughs> <laughs> rachel what have you been yes playing? this is interesting because we've just talked about games in which this is like pre-calamity the cosmic wheel sisterhood is something i've been playing recently and it deals with Mm. the topic of post-calamity kind of a person are you after going through the most devastating life-changing event and so we follow a witch called fortuna who belongs to a coven of witches um and when we meet her she's actually been exiled because she's a fortune teller and she has predicted the fall of the coven and then in response to that the coven leader has cast her onto this meteorite floating through space and she has to stay there for a millennia uh her deck taken away from her until she kind of reflects on her predictions and basically as a punishment um this this queen of the witches was like actually actually do not predict the fall of my coven and got pissy at her and just booted her onto this asteroid and so we meet her 200 years into her sentence and she decides to summon a beer moth which is totally utterly like not cool to do in this world of witches <laughs> they strike up a, a deal together in which this bear moth will like let her make a new tarot deck but it's not a tarot deck it's like a special supersonic cosmic tarot deck in exchange for her life force and ultimately key moments in her life that were going to happen but haven't yet so something like okay well you you can make a card but you'll have to sacrifice your first lover like she doesn't know who that's going to be but in the present she's like if you pick that option, you can be like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. You get the card and maybe somewhere down the line, those actions will have consequences because ultimately this is a game about player choice and consequences. It And it is honestly, in Volcano High, I guess, it's very much like you can make decisions and they're cute. 
in the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood, you can make decisions and three hours later be, oh my God, I totally fucked myself. Why did I make that decision? And then at the end game, it all accumulates in this huge event in which all the decisions you've been making of eight hours come tumbling down on you in the most devastating way. And yeah, player choice here is like the beating heart of this game. It's, It's all you do. It's very much a visual novel with card um tarot deck building capabilities but it's not like a deck builder you essentially craft cards from your magical essence and you can decorate them and kind of like you drag images and you can like decide what the card will look like and yeah it's very poignant it deals with what is quite obviously post-pandemic trauma it it's just a very highly emotional like super like just a great game <laughs> so I you know when you get too up in your own feels yes. you get too caught up in your feels you're like okay it's a good game guys please play <laughs> i just want to apologize if i looked really rude just then because as soon as you started talking i grabbed my phone but what i'm doing is adding that to my steam wish list because yeah. i can't believe it's not on there already oh yeah, yeah i was also watching it like i put a trailer on as as you were talking to to remind myself how it looks oh yeah why have i not already played this this looks amazing yeah Gil witches <laughs> like right? yeah. honestly it's oh it's Deconstruct team, I've been a fan of theirs for years. They they re- released a um their first game was called Gods Will Be Watching, which was slated by both critics and players. After that, I think they felt very <laughs> sad because obviously they put a lot into this game. The reason why people did not click with this game is because it put you in increasingly difficult ethical situations where you had to make choices mm. to the point where it was almost like you're a gangster or you're you're like you you have a bunch of hostages and you have to decide whether like the threats keep increasing of like your boss telling you what to do and you can decide how you react to that it was okay um you can definitely see the bones of that in this game but in this Mm. game those consequences are just like yeah cosmic and i think it's just like i love it that with games where you've played a studio's work and something that didn't quite click and work before mm. completely and utterly has fallen into place so beautifully that like it's quite profound and this is what that mm. game is yes um, also they did red the red strings club in between so oh. yes yeah, so yeah. that these are those devs and yeah in red in the red strings club you play as like a bartender at one point and there's this kind of like it's kind of like therapy. You play as a bartender and you pour drinks to make people kind of tell you your secrets or to find out. That role in this game is you are um yeah, a oracle, a tarot reader, you have visitors and you read their futures and in the same way in which customers open up to you in the Red Strings Club, these witches will open up to you. And not only that, they kind of like put their fate in your hands in maybe not a metaphorical way and almost maybe a literal way but i won't say more than that it's just really interesting with player choice that is the main takeaway for me was how much and how many decisions are in this game like the 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 cards that you that you assign certain questions when you get visitors are completely random so you can have a 12 pack of cards and each 
individual card will elicit new responses and new options for you to choose from. And even the way you design the card, you attribute it different features. And so it's mind boggling the amount of choices you can make and stuff that can happen. And I I don't think I'll be playing through this game anytime soon because it is a bit of a gut punch, mm. but Ooh, it's, okay. it's just something that it, it just it, you need to play it more than once because just out of curiosity mm. just because you just want to know and thankfully you can like <laughs> very like nicely click through the dialogue oh, so you can get good. to that certain choices oh nice but yeah, like games do that, yeah me too me too because this game is quite long as well for like i don't know what i consider quite long it's so like eight to ten hours but yeah it's it's a it's a yeah for me this would be in my top five for game of the year oh it that's was, so cool it was astounding it sounds great yeah it was so yeah. good it sounds like one of those games where the choices are so personal that your first yes. playthrough feels like your canon yes 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 like, i i, I oh love my God. games like that when i first played fortuna <laughs> I played her as an angry, bitter, twisted woman who had, mm. because of this outcasting, just felt this rage inside her. And like, I was like, this is kind of cathartic. Okay. <laughs> like post-pandemic anger is a real thing. And that trauma yep. is a real thing. And mm -hmm. this game was made during the pandemic. It got delayed because of the pandemic, because the studio were like, there's only three of them in the, in the team. They were like, we cannot work on this game that deals with the very thing we are experiencing. Like five years Gosh, in development. Yeah. Red Strings Club was one year. This game was five years because of that struggle that the, and you can feel it. You can feel the struggle and the, the trauma and it will resonate with you because everyone went through it. Everyone's been through this situation and it will resonate with you in different, oh yeah. It's like considerably longer than Red Strings too, right? I was just looking mm. there. I finished Red Strings Club in four hours. So mm. this is like just a, a bigger you know, endeavor for them as, as a three-person team. Yeah, it's their most ambitious game. Yeah. Uh, so one thing, so you spoke about this on uh, another podcast, that that you make your own tarot cards. Mm -hmm. The tarot cards you make draw out different responses, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So you might put down a, a card you have made that will draw mm -hmm. out a specific response based on that card from a character. Is that right? Yes. Well, You'll play, you'll assign the card to a question and it will give you several different responses. You can pick one of three or four or five. So you, right, that's so you, how you your decide. interpretation of the card you've played mm -hmm. yes. based on them. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I need to play this. It looks <laughs> incredible. Just remembering that one of our strong contenders for the title for this podcast was Add to Wishlist. <laughs> like, I yes. know, right. Mm -hmm. And we, we've already wishlisted one game <laughs> during this. So much wishlisting. Interesting you mentioned yeah. Only God's only gods are watching gods will be oh, watching what's it called is it i think it's gods will be watching did i say gods will be forgiven or something that's a no, film i think you said the right name i think okay I'm just confused yeah here. gods will be watching is the name i remember that getting slated and i, I think mm. wasn't it something like it was really hard like it had like a random number generator that changed the outcomes of each story and you yeah. sort of get the impression that they were almost trying to make too much of a traditional game in 2014. Mm. And they were almost a couple of years too early to this sort of genre. Yeah, and it's so totally nice to that. see them flourishing. It's it's so frustrating when you see that happen as well, when you, you see a game that's added one too many elements. 
Yeah. And needs to pare it back a bit. And that's why it's really gratifying to see, like, what is it, the, th- the third game from this studio? Kind of like... Yeah, commercially, yeah. To see yeah, everything yeah, yeah. kind of like build up and build up, build up. Because I feel like the, the thing, especially with indie game dev, but really with any game dev these days, unfortunately, because of like the pressures of the market, is your first game feels like the make or break for the studio. But actually, the way you develop a craft is to... Yeah. fumble it and and cram too much into your first thing and then like mm. scale back and work out where your strengths are what you actually want to do as you say outside of the boundaries of making a video game in inverted commas mm-hmm. if you, you know and i just this is like a beautiful success story i think for this team maybe i'm getting emotional because yeah. it's like nearly 10 o'clock at night and i'm tired but it's <laughs> interesting yeah, it is, yeah. deconstruct team have a pretty solid history in the game jam scene Mm. ever since they started making game jams in 2015 they have always been in the top two or have won london dare every almost every year so gods will be watching got really it went viral and that's when Mm -hmm. devolver approached them and asked them if they wanted to make it into a a bigger game Mm -hmm. and so actually all their commercial releases have come from their very successful game jam entries which have done which have won awards which have gained popularity so red strings club was an amalgamation of three of their games they went to devolver desperate to have money um because the game got to be watching yeah didn't wasn't you know it wasn't selling that great yeah they went to devolver and they said these are three game jam ideas we're going to make them into one game and devolver were like sold they didn't even have an overarching like idea they just were like we want something about making pottery we want something about being on the phone and pretending to be different people and we want something about cocktail making and that was it and those are the main highlights of the game Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood is the same. They took their big game jam entries, those ideas, and their first commercial and second commercial releases. And this just feels like the combination of years of game jam scenes mm-hmm. to one good, one bad commercial successes into this ambitiously, like it's like their final form. There's three of them, <laughs> the trifecta, and this is like the game oh, that represents yes. them as as three people. And yeah. it's just wonderful <laughs> to see that. And yeah, it's such a good dev story. I know this because I literally interviewed them last week. Oh, that is a beautiful oh, yeah, story. Thank you for sharing yeah. that with us. That's yeah, like, that's so heartwarming. Yeah, they are they are a great studio, and they deserve this. They deserve everything they got from this. Like mm-hmm. I've I've like seen reviews have been really positive, and people have be, re- like received it in, like both players and critics. Like yeah, yeah. they deserve everything. Yeah, they really do. Is it? It is Steam Deck Verified, which is always my question now. Having yeah, had a Steam Deck for two weeks. Yeah. Oh, welcome to the club, buddy. You'll be doing that about everything. Yeah. Nice. Great first pick, buddy. I cannot bloody wait to A, play that, and B, read that interview that mm. you've been having with the team. Can you mention where that's going to be popping up? I mean- Maybe it's the ne- next issue of Edge. Hi, this is Rachel from India Discover. I mean, Indie Adventure. My interview will be in issue 391 of Edge magazine. Liam didn't add this in during editing. This is what I always sound like. This is how Welch people talk anyway back to the show, which is still happening. I mean... We don't know when this episode's going to come out, but... Yeah, so mm, maybe... Rachel Watts, Edge published writer. Debut! Woo! (laughs) I love that. Liam, what is your first game? So my first game is... 
case of the golden idol, which we have not spoken about on this podcast. Oh my god! No, yes. I need to say that again. Different podcast. Yeah, I oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> Whoops. I don't think we've spoken about this as friends. <laughs> Do you know so, what? That's the second time in two days that someone has brought this up with me on a podcast and I've gone, shit, I really need to play Case of the Golden Idol. What the fuck yes, are you doing with my yes, life? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, yes, I, I, will, I will tell you the little, the little story um, about how I ended up playing this game. So... Uh, I was listening to another podcast where one of the hosts, Rachel Watts, uh, <laughs> recommended a game called Return of the Obra Dinn by <laughs> Lucas Pope. I finally got off my ass and played through Obra Dinn after about three, four years, whenever it came out, of people being like, you need to play this bloody game, mate. Like, why have you not played Obra Dinn? And it was maybe one of the best three or four days of my entire game playing life. Incredible. Oh, my God. Oh. Oberdin irreversibly changed me. Now, I don't want to go over Oberdin because that podcast, uh, I believe it was the best games of all time episode of a oh, certain it? podcast. It was. And I think Rachel spoke so beautifully about that. Um, I will link to that podcast in the description of this. Like, <laughs> we're allowed to do that. But you should go listen to that. But so I played Oberdin and I was so hungry for more of that kind of game, a detective game that is based on deductive reasoning rather than any other type of mystery solving. Mm. Uh, Oberdin is a game about uh, piecing together a mystery by working out who people are on this ship. Uh, I had to play another game like that, and the only other game like that, really, that people said is worth playing is The Case of the Golden Idol. So I played through Case of the Golden Idol. I think it is good, not great. <laughs> it's really? maybe where I'm at with this. Yes. So... Oh my god, I want to get into it because I fucking love it so much. So I I do really like it. And I can't mm. tell. Right, okay, so mm. I'll talk about what the game is first. So the case of the Golden <laughs> Idol is, I didn't write down who it's by. Two seconds. Oh, they have a cool name. I always I always love their it's like Colour Grey Games. That's with it, a number. Yeah. yeah, that's so cute. Yeah, they use Sorry. the hex code, don't they? Oh, I can I can talk about hex codes again now. Now that's my job again. Is that what they're called? Hex codes. Love that. Hex codes, yeah. HTML, CSS, hex codes. So Case of the Golden Idol is by Colour Grey Games, you play as a, I don't really know what you are, you're sort of like a disembodied detective that is observing about 50 years of murders that occur <laughs> in the 18th century. Unlike Oberdin, which takes place on a single ship where you play as a insurance detective, investigator, I guess, mm. who is observing how everyone died using a magic pocket watch and is able to see the exact freeze frame of when the person perished. Case of the Golden Idol shows you almost, I guess, they're separate scenes involving a murder, but I guess whereas in Oberdin you observe a freeze frame, in Case of the Golden Idol you're looking at a fixed point. They yeah. sound very similar, but there is a difference. So this plays out a little bit more like a classic point and click where you're given a screen full of things when you interact with them. So let's say someone is on fire and there is five people around the person who's burned to death. And when you select a person, you will get a snippet of dialogue that that person has spoken as this has happened. 
And you can also rummage through their pockets. You can find letters, you can find objects, and you can move between, in some of the later levels anyway, you can move between different rooms in the house or different parts of a garden and a mansion, perhaps. It's, it's nice because it tells a cohesive story about the Golden Idol and the people who use it and the, the ways that they use it on each other. And it actually goes places that I wasn't expecting. It, it has <laughs> uh, a couple of little points about fascism, <laughs> which I wasn't really oh, expecting. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really good. It, it uses the same kind of deductive reasoning mechanics as Oberdin, but slightly different. So when you are interacting with letters and other objects and conversations, you can pull out keywords, nouns, verbs, numbers, and they go into this bucket of words that you get and it counts them up and once you find all the words it says right you've got all the words and then you can swap from exploration mode which is where you look around these scenes to investigation mode which gives you a number of scrolls so unlike an Oberdin where it says who is this person how did they die who killed them if that's relevant curse of the golden idol will ask who was sat at this table what do these masks mean and it asks you a number of questions and then the final sort of puzzle that you'll put together is what happened here? Who was involved? Why were they doing the things they were doing? And what was the result of their actions? I really love that as a mechanic. I, I think mm. I didn't love it as much as Oberdin, which felt like slowly constructing a very large puzzle. This felt like sort of just doing very micro logic puzzles in a way mm. that maybe wasn't as satisfying on a grand scale, but was mm. still very, very compelling. Colour Grey Games, I cannot bloody wait for whatever you do next, and I am going to devour the DLC for this game. My problem is that I played this the day after I finished Oberdin. This is the oh, yeah. thing! Oh no. Is that... And mm-hmm. I think that, and also, yeah. instead of playing it in three days, like uh, well, me and Yolly did with Oberdin, we finished this over the course of a month. And oh. it's only about a six-hour game. So... Part of this game, which is really interesting, is that it encourages you to jump between the scenes. So characters in later scenes, you might already know because it's a cohesive story that, that you know, continues throughout 50 years. So it kind of encourages you to be like, oh, do you recognize that person? You should go back two or three levels, like go back to the main menu, go to another level, go back in, look at your solutions, figure that out and then return. And the game even plays with that concept a little in later levels. If you, if you leave this game for two weeks, <laughs> oh, girl. Oh, you're, not, you're, not com- you're coming so back and much. being like, oh, I can't remember who this character was in this secret cult. Like it just doesn't, that's <laughs> yeah. a fault of mine for trying to play it like that. So my advice to you is if you're going to play a case of the golden idol, Put aside a couple of days. It won't take you long. Play it all in one go. Yeah, I, I really like it. I really do like it. I, I think it 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 does not have it doesn't have it doesn't have feelings. There's personal feelings that I have that have affected my enjoyment of the game. And my problem is, we finished it this week. Is mm. now I really want to play it. So you know, if Oberdin was the you know the best investigation game from a few years ago, and Case the Golden Idol was the best Oberdin like from last year, mm. Chance of Sanar is meant to be the best version of this kind of logic reasoning puzzle title of 2023. And I really want to play that. I've bought it. And I'm like, don't don't play it yet, Liam. Play something else. That's why we're playing Goodbye Volcano High. So have you heard of Chance of Sonar? No. Only for you. Literally only when you've mentioned it before. So So this is the problem with 2023. This game just drops and it's very similar. It's about understanding through logical reasoning 
a language. So it takes place in the Tower of Babylon. And when you start the game, I haven't played it. This is just what I've heard. Is you talk to someone and symbols will appear above their head in a speech bubble. And you have a book and you have to work out what the language is. So it's a bit like Heaven's Vault in that it's sense. It's the best. Well. It sounds very Heaven's Vault. Very Heaven's Vault. Yeah. So, you know, someone might be offering you an apple. So you can be like, okay, well, maybe that means apple. And oh. you can kind of cross reference that um, with other conversations and signs. And so that looks fantastic. I'm not going to play it. I'll play it before the end of the year, <laughs> but I need <laughs> to cleanse myself. Because yeah. otherwise I'm going to play it and be like, oh, well, it's not even as good as Kiss the Golden Idol. This is the thing you can glut yourself so easily if you just drill down yeah. on one genre. Like, I think I get what you mean. Because I think if I played Goodbye Volcano High and then gone, I want more of the same, I'll play a space, space for the Unbound, I would have been like, oh my God. And now I'm just you're like stuffed at the end of a buffet and you're just like, oh no. Yeah. Like, I'm bored of these sad teens. <laughs> right? It's just like following up. I mean, the thing is as well, playing Return of the Overdin first, like one of the most acclaimed games of the last decade oh, in so any good. genre, in any medium, in any sort of like, you know, from AAA to indie, like Return of the Overdin is one of the big hitters of the last few years i think it's one of the best things i've ever done with best my games life, of all time. I, I still need to play yeah. it but i know i know it's great and it's just like the problem is trying to find something to follow that up with is always going to be tough and like you always want to you want to find like the next thing that's similar and you kind of ruin yourself yeah. a little bit i totally mm. get what you mean mm. i totally get what oh you mean. it's diminishing returns from now on <laughs> I assume until I die. I don't think I'm ever going to feel as good as I did when, you know, we were solving the hardest parts of Obradin and mm. we were shouting the most unhinged things you've ever heard. It's like, it was the Borsman's mate. It was the Borsman's mate. We got it from the whatever. They'll be spoiling to say anything, but like. Oh dear. Yeah. Also, side point, Rachel, I don't think I've said this to you, but I know uh, two couples who have listened to that episode, who then have bought and loved Oberdin based on your description of it. So Hell yeah. Uh, well done. Influencer Rachel Watts at it again. <laughs> Honestly, it's a game for everyone. Any, really everyone is. can enjoy it that really game. It really is. Oh, yeah. it's so good. And the bells, you said it in that episode, you were like, oh, the bells. And I was like, don't know what they're on the about. Bells, Sounds, the bells, How can bells sound good? But now, now, right, what happens is, is I'm walking around the house and Yolly's upstairs getting ready. And do you know what she's listening to? She's oh listening to God. fucking Soldiers of the Deep from the Oberdin soundtrack. And I'm there nice. like, play it louder, girl. Let's hear it. Crank that banger louder. And it's just a bunch of fucking bells. That game has Those fucking bells, me. though. They bell. They absolute, yeah. They <laughs> oh my god. Those bells Yeah, 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 it's, it's good, yeah. Um it looks gross. That's my last point about it. It does. Everyone oh my god, that's honestly that's disgusting the thing that's gelatin me off. faces. I've had a press copy of it for years and I always look at it and I'm like, the faces freak me out. It never gets oh, better. It's you so never get creepy. used to it. It, it, like, it adds to the sense of like yeah, unease that I think the game really like takes advantage mm. of. Um, although it has birthed uh, a character called Little Pip, which might be my favourite <laughs> character from any game ever. I'm just oh, wow, obsessed with the concept of Little Pip. I have to know Little Pip now, but yeah, it's um, <laughs> grotesque oh. Little Pip. Just a little freak. <laughs> little <laughs> freak. <laughs> oh, but yeah, if you're saying I'm the resident horror adult, allegedly, yeah, something about the character design in case of the Golden Idol, it's good. It's clearly doing what it's meant to do, but it's mm. just... It's rank. It's, uh, it, it's, it's on a part rank. of my brain that does not like it. Oh, there's there's, there's some Ugh. scenes where people are moving and mm. there's something about their limbs moving that is just, yeah, horrific. So yeah, Kiss the Golden Idol, it's good, 
don't ruin it for yourself. I think it's probably a 9 out of 10 game that I made yeah, a 7 uh, through my own incompetence. <laughs> That's so. so unlucky. To play one of the best games of, like, ever, and then this game. Yeah. Because it's so, yeah, it det- like it detracts a bit, but yeah. Oh, now, I agree with you. Case of God Idol is so really good. If you like detective games, you need to play this oh, game. Oh, you need to play If you it, like yeah. logic oh, games, yeah. if you like word <laughs> games, it like you yeah. need to play this game. Can I can Absolutely. I do a, what may be a brief moment of cross-promotion here for a second? Sure. Absolutely. So I am now intermittently on another podcast. Sorry. <gasps> um what? What? I know. There are other podcasts. There are other podcasts. I'm so sorry, guys. I don't think anyone should be listening to other podcasts. Um, Except for if you happen to see in, I think it's probably going to be out in October, an episode of VG247's Best Games Ever podcast uh, on the theme of the best detective games, it might be fairly relevant, mainly Mm. because you'll see the moment where someone mentions... Return of the Opera Dinn and Case of the Golden Idol, I think, in the same breath, and you see my face as I realise that I've come here like touting myself as an expert on detective games, having played neither, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. like fully blue yeah. screen. Like I've played all the Sherlock Holmes games multiple times. All right, that was why I was there. <laughs> but, Incredible. Um, um, I'll look forward to to listening to that. But yeah, you'll judge me, judge me on my choices because I haven't played literally the best detective game ever that everyone agrees on and instead i'm there like you know what's great janky weird frogwares games and i stand by that opinion but i do need to play rebecca (laughs) we it's it's honestly it's it's a quality of you i find incredibly endearing one thousand percent it's i would want you to come in that room and be like we're talking about chapter one like that's what we're doing here it was chapter one (laughs) i fucking knew it i fucking knew it i'm I'm nearly like 50 hours into that game i love it it's just so weird i love it it's so good i i I love your obsession with those frogwork games oh if you want to feel like this is a side note by it is like the game that mick and i are playing together at the moment is sherlock holmes chapter one if you want to really feel like whiny teenage sherlock holmes going around trying to be like cool and slightly emo on malta basically in the 1880s (laughs) it's a great game it's so good i i I feel like i'm gonna play one of them just just for you. I think I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll play one just to talk No, to Crime and it. Punishments is a really good detective game. It's yeah. such that a good game. That's the best Crime one. It's such a good detective game that it's actually a bad Frogwares game, in my opinion. You get, like, almost <laughs> none of the Frogwares charm. <laughs> that's probably why I like it the most. <laughs> yeah. No, they've, they've, yeah. they've hit the sweet spot with their latest, like, with the reboot, I think. It's just... It's actually got the right balance of polish and weird now and i'm just it's so delightful like it took me a while to get into it like i didn't think much of the prologue i thought it was a bit bland but then you get into the open world and sherlock holmes is like i'm going to you know dress as a turkish peasant and listen to this random conversation and run around the island like breaking into houses and finding <laughs> stuff out. i'm like yes this is what like teenagers with no supervision do <laughs> when they oh my god <laughs> so i'm good. gonna say this with all the love of my heart <laughs> Like, I honestly respect the hell out of Frogwares for just, just being a studio that aims for sevens and, like, oh, yeah. that's their whole thing. Yeah. Like, yes. Genuinely, yeah. some of my favourite studios are studios that are leaning into that perfect, like, double A weirdness is the yes. way I've heard it described. Yeah. It's like Frogwares, like Cyanide, Big Bad, I think it's Big Bad Wolf. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're just doing weird little, largely detective games, actually. And yeah. just, yeah. I don't think I could ever play Oberdin, can I? Because I'll ruin an entire genre that I love if I do. No, I think no, no, no. Yeah, you'll be fine. I mean, I love my detective games too, and this is like this is just after playing many 
Mm. Seven out of tens, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Orbiton's oh. the perfect ten. Oh, I think it is 100%. the best game ever made, to be I, honest. I, I so want to play it, but it's one that I, I think it feels like the, the more people you have playing it together like the more satisfying yeah. it will be and because my whole family is into the, that kind of thing i always kind of want to get everyone together over christmas to play it and it just Definitely never comes play together. with your parents and play with mick yes yeah. exactly. The, exactly oh see i can't do that room. i know I you need to do it on them. my own yeah we did the same with uh, heaven's vault and honestly having two minds on heaven's vault was really good but i remember you saying at the time that you were just like i was like you i was like solo <laughs> it and then it just didn't <laughs> Dink on I was together. Like, how can how can you do that? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, no. Each to their own. <laughs> Rachel, what is your second indie game? My next game is Cocoon, which Aww. is absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear about this. Like, I'm so excited to hear you talk about this. But also, I did get a code in my inbox for this, like, 25 yes. minutes before we start recording. So, Ooh. yes. Well, thank you for being here. I know that, you know, it just came in and the uh, the draw of Cocoon. Because <laughs> After the what hype... you were saying the other day, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, there's been, like, quite a lot of chat around this game because it was at, ooh, Gamescom? Nope. Summer Game? Nope. It was not one of those like uh, not games festival. Uh, I think not it was Summer yeah. Games Fest. Yeah. No, maybe it's Summer Games Fest. And there was, there was Jeff a lot Keely's of pre- ventures. Uh, there was a lot of previews about it. Like and so there's kind of a lot of hype about it. Yeah, I've been playing it and again in my top five of this year. This game is phenomenal. Oh. Um it's essentially you play as this little bug creature in this very strange alien landscape, which is like kind of mechanical but also very organic this weird like mix of like industrial stuff but squishy fleshy like textures and the main kind of gameplay mechanic in this is that you can jump in and out of what kind of look like marbles but Mm. these marbles contain worlds and so in this kind of like puzzle adventure exploration game you use these marbles these orbs to jump in and out of different worlds, finding unique puzzle solutions, uh, platforming Mm. puzzle solutions as you play the game. And it is very weird, super smart. The puzzle design is so tight. Like every puzzle feels smart. It feels, it's short as well. Each puzzle like is very unique. It doesn't repeat itself. This is coming from the same uh, gameplay designer as Limbo and Inside. So if you've played Mm. those games, you understand the kind of puzzle design we're talking about here. Sharp to the point. Yeah. No, like it's, yeah, no repetition. It's, it's so smart. I can't get over how 
this kind of world hopping mechanic has been used in so many different interesting ways. Like the game is quite short. Um, I have not reached the end, but I'm I'm feeling the um, kind of escalation of events. Yeah, I've just, it's so strange and wonderful, but I think my main takeaway from this game is not only its world building, but like this game genuinely feels like alive. The sound design in this game is unbelievable. There's not a lot of music, but when there is, it's very accented and very purposeful. Mm. But this, the noise is like, I turned my headphones right up. There's not going to be any like jump scares or whatever. It's all atmosphere. And it just feels like this world is like breathing in. <laughs> like, oh, wow. that, sounds a bit, that sounds a bit intense, but like very <laughs> ASMR, like... Anything, everything from like the little thumps you make as your like bug creature like <gasps> oh, runs across I, I different. I love a good footfall noise. I'm like a, a lovely mm, footfall noise here. Ooh, makes my brain uh, oh, feel good. Terracotta rocks, little little plunkies, and then when you go across metallic <gasps> steps, more. like doo, 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 doo. <laughs> honestly, and it, that's just the beginning. Like because oh, of wow. like something metallic and something organic have very specific sounds, and but mm. very opposite sounds, and to kind of mm. meld them into this weird mix is like, oh, it's delicious ear food. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> So like I don't know this this machine will whir and and mm. cogs will turn but also there's like organic matter like everything is very bugging inspired and so I don't know it will feel squishy as these like mechanical doors will like kind of open up but also there's like a fleshiness to it as well and oh, yeah wow. it's I have like no bad things to say to say about this game so far like I've not again I've not finished it but oh, it is such a very tight concise game it's it knows exactly what it wants to do it's set out to do it and yeah it's it's great i love it it's i'm having such a good time with it i really hope it doesn't botch the ending but at this point i don't even think it matters i've had such a good time um with this like what did i say maybe five or six hours like oh yeah good. i'm glad to hear that that sounds fantastic like mm -hmm. a good yeah good length i don't want to make too many comparisons to play dead's work but i know that might be quite an easy reference point so i think i will because i'm lazy i'm not a games <laughs> journalist anymore i don't have to worry about that <laughs> does it have a story is it like an explicit story or is it very much like limbo like inside where it just sort of puts you in the world and you just sort of just try and figure out what's happening based on the environments and the puzzles you're doing so it's very much that but in the way in which inside was like teasing you to figure out what's going on it's like, ooh, what's happening in this scene? Like something's happening here. Mm -hmm. Cocoon is much more laid back and abstract. Yes, there are shrines and there are things happening in the background at certain moments, but honestly, I do not know what's going on. It's a very vibey game. Something is happening and maybe everything will come together at the end, but ultimately mm -hmm. it's so abstract in the best way that you're not really worrying about it. With Inside, I felt like it challenged you. Like what is happening here? Like what what mm -hmm. like what is this person this boy dealing with and limbo was the same like w let's work it out like is this limbo like uh, uh, uh. but in cocoon it's like <laughs> vibes only don't worry about it for those looking there definitely is a story and i'm sure like people will be like trying to analyze it like that but for someone like me who sometimes I, I'm just going to experience like it very surface level and my first mm -hmm. playthrough for vibes. It's, it's mm -hmm. very much that, but I think there is something going on, but it's just not as in your face as like the mystery of what is happening to the humans and inside. It's nice. It sounds like, you know, the puzzles are 
the most important part of the game, right? And there's set mm-hmm. dressing, but it's maybe not the most important thing. I think that just sounds yeah. really evocative in a, a sort of different way. Yeah, don't worry yeah. about the story. It's it's just maybe means to almost like a bit of a Nintendo way of doing things, actually. From what you've described, and I, I don't think I've seen really anything about this game, like your description puts me in mind of something like Journey, or is it... Mm. Or is it is it that yes, game yes, company? Yes. Am I remembering the, the developer's name? Yes, yes. Right. They do like yeah, Flow yeah. and Flower, and it's got that kind of like... You know, there is a story, but very vibes based. Seems like that sort of yes, that yeah. sort of exploration and puzzle sort of idea behind it. I think it's the kind of game in which you feel very present in the moment. You're not mm. thinking about what's going to happen. You're not thinking about the story and trying to analyze it. You're just in the moment. I think very similar to Journey, there mm. is like a hint of a story, but ultimately, what is in front of you is a great puzzle it feels good to play like you're, you're it's a very um not sensual what am i trying to say like what it's like you're, sensory. you're um sensory <laughs> sensual yeah. um it's a very sensory um <laughs> it's a very sensory sen- it's a very sensual game that's what i'm trying to say I'm trying to say it's a very horny sensual thirsty game <laughs> nice <laughs> Wishlisted. Like, that, that's the point <laughs> i'm sure if anyone could bring that to this game it would be the three of us to be fair <laughs> Rebecca will find a reading in I which will, this I will. bug is horny. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it does sound, I mean, like... Balls? Mm. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it does sound, like, so so nice the way you put it across because, like, mm. I am someone who thinks of narrative as maybe my main... the main thing I look for in a game and yet Journey is one of yeah. my favourite games because it, it just... Sometimes it's nice to just stop and enjoy a really beautifully crafted atmosphere and sometimes games <clears throat> do just rush you through some of their best Mm -hmm. design aspects because they're really Mm. trying to keep your focus on like combat or a certain interaction or the narrative. And so, yeah, it's, it's really nice to, to have those games that just slow down the pace. Like actually, like you say, be in the moment, Yeah, be more about the scene than the sort of conclusion. Just to counter that though, I think Journey has maybe one of the most evocative narratives of any game I've ever played mm. because oh, yeah. it's such a blank canvas. There's so much you can put on it. Like, that game made me cry. Oh yeah, <laughs> me too. I, I played it in one oh. sitting, you know, with with someone else who joins you on that journey who you don't know. Mm. Yes, like, yes. It it you just you put so much onto that because there's such a lack of explicit storytelling happening, right? And mm. and I think there are some games that really benefit from that approach it sounds like I don't, i'm not sure it doesn't sound like cocoon is doing the same kind of thing that you know journey I mean, does is it too high level if we get into like are there really any games with no narrative is that too big of a yeah. question to ask at 10 past 10 Ooh. at night on a friday i mean one of my favorite <laughs> games at all time is proteus and that game does not have a narrative <laughs> like you wander you wander around the seasons change and you're like, that was great. But then was the narrative happening inside you all along? Well, exactly, right? If it if it's an invitation to self-reflection, isn't that also a form of narrative? <laughs> okay, what about Picross S9 that I'm playing on the Switch right <laughs> now? All right, fair enough. Actually, yeah, to be fair, Solitaire, probably not. <laughs> yeah, but Sol- these games are about good versus evil. Like, that is a narrative in itself. It's two sides at war, right? Isn't that what, che- like, Picross is like, you know what? No, I, I, want you, I don't care how bad it is. I want you to give me a reading of Picross from a narrative perspective. I, you know what? I fucking hate Picross. You know, I was going to get into it, but I actually hate it. Let's move on. I don't uh, want to talk about it. Oh, I've just started Murder by Numbers, which is See, Picross I liked Murder by Numbers. So, and I, I made Henry, friend of the podcast, Henry, do all the Picross bits. 
You don't like Picross? No, uh, numbers. No, 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 no. Thank you for listening to the one episode run of Indie Venture. We had fun while we, we did it. absolutely not and yeah anything with like oh my god like i I, I just you know what it is it's just like numbers they just annoy me (laughs) and i just all of the professor (laughs) puzzles involving fractions and numbers i was like no thank you absolutely not you can keep those pick arts. I'm not having them. Picture in my head of like presenting you with a Sudoku and just seeing you flip. A I table hate or Sudoku. <laughs> yeah, but I, I thought Rachel's you would. not gonna like a Sudoku. <laughs> I thought you would. Fuck Sudoku. <laughs> All right, shall we? Shall we move on before we have a falling out over? <laughs> the one, the one last thing I will say about Cocoon though, Please which is it. interesting, is that there are boss fights in this game. It's not Ooh. just ambient like. I feel oh. like I've just, I have described it at this very like ambient atmospheric um, adventure. And I, you know, we've picked up off, like uh, inside and limbo and journey. But no, there are actually boss fights in this game where you have to like, it's, it's more fast paced. You have to be in the moment, react to what's happening. But again, I mean, I, I <laughs> my video game skills aren't great. And these bosses are more about the idea behind them than difficulty. Like, absolutely. you that Like anyone will not have a problem if they don't like mm. that kind of game. Don't let that put you off. It's very, yeah, it's more about, this is a cool idea that we just want to throw at you and you've just learned this new thing. So let's apply it to a situation in which you're, it's a bit of time pressure. You need to move a bit faster. And so it's not like we want to crush you and you keep, if you, unless you don't win this section you can't see the end of the game like mm. it's doesn't feel like that i love that though because yeah. the best yeah. boss battles are puzzles right mm-hmm. so absolutely why not just yeah. why not just remove the health why not just remove the yeah they're not know. hp sponges they're like well thought out and i don't know yeah brilliant. they're good oh, so i can't just mention that this. yeah so that's like nice. we're talking about multiple best games of the year here from you two anyway, yeah that you've been mm-hmm. playing so it, yeah it's, it's been a ridiculous year it really has i wish Someone would run a YouTube channel and would put a really good video mm. together about what a ridiculously good year it's been for games from AAA to indie. I'm any, sure someone will. Any suggestions? We, anyone? <laughs> I, I can't self-promote Rebecca. I yes, okay, put it. I'll do it for you. YouTube.com, oh. 7 out of 10. Go watch it. It's a very good video. I had to tell Liam off for making every game that I'd managed to miss so far this year sound so good. I made a video Incredible. about the year and these two have been very nice about it because they're very good friends of mine. Being nice because it's good. Watch it. I'll put a link in the description, I guess. I put guess. a link in the description. Fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, my... Oh, I've been recording for an hour 50. I'll keep this brief. <laughs> We're unstoppable once we get started. I was about to say we won't run this long every episode, but let's not, we will. Let's not kid Be ourselves. Real. We will. This is what mm-hmm. we do now. So, my second game, I literally just finished this yesterday, is Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. That's amazing. Bomber Cyberfunk is a, I want to say it's an exploration platforming game yeah. where mm. you traverse through environments and do tricks and you, you can skate, you can rollerblade, you can BMX around these uh, city districts to graffiti and battle rival gangs in score attack modes. Now, if this sounds familiar... Wait until you see the visuals of the game. <laughs> this is, in all but name, 
a true sequel to Jet Set Radio, the Sega Dreamcast cult classic that has laid dormant for something daft like 21 years now, other than a tie-in with Roller Champions for some reason, that Ubisoft live service game. So this is by Team Reptile. I've had my eye on this game for years at this point. You play as a graffiti artist who gets decapitated by a a sinister um, figure called DJ Cyber, and your head is replaced with a robot head, and you join a crew called Bomb Rush Crew, which consists of two people, Trey and... Bell. Bell. And... The goal is basically they want to go all city with their crew, which is a concept of where you take over each district through graffiti and by proving your worth through basically doing cool kick flips and grinding <laughs> on rails uh, until your crew becomes the dominant force in this cyberpunk futuristic city. But what's great about it is it's futuristic as seen from the perspective of the early 2000s. So it's sort yes. of like imagining a vision of the future where everyone still uses Motorola razors and iMac G3s, oh, oh, you know, those nice. big monitors with the colour on the back. And this is a specific visual style that I think is really underrepresented in games. It's so well done here. It's a beautiful looking game. It looks like a modern Dreamcast game in every mm. single way that could be perceived as positive. Soundtrack wise as well. I'll get this straight out of the way. This probably has the best soundtrack of the year. It's yes. funky. It's got some great hip-hop in it it's got some acid jazz it's got some tracks by the original composer of jet set radio it's the (laughs) the the track that just says ass repeatedly oh my god yes really good (laughs) aesthetics and vibe wise i cannot say anything wrong about this game it is a pitch perfect jet set radio like game that very much has its own sense of style and identity as well one thing i really like it as well is the story is quite interesting in that it examines a lot of themes around things like the morality of the police force and what it means to belong and some wider conspiracies around people and some like really fun character reveals and also has this undercurrent of what does it actually mean to be human? If mm. your head is removed from your body and replaced with something else, what are you in that moment? Like, which, which personality do you belong to and, and how do you fit in within this world? And what I really respect about this game, and I, I want to just say straight up front, this is a compliment, is the game is, it almost acts like it's too cool to acknowledge <laughs> that stuff at any point. Now, at first, I almost thought the game was meandering and lacked meaning for the first hour and actually i was messaging rachel and being like i don't think this is for me i don't know what i'm doing i don't really understand Mm. what it's trying to do but the more you play the more you realize that it does these huge story beats and then the game's just like yeah so we should probably like go hang out at the mall and like do some kick flips (laughs) and like oh it's so good once you once you realize that's what it's trying to do It's just a really fun way of conveying a story. So yeah, you spend your time basically just like doing tricks, graffiti in, the graffiti system's really fun. You unlock new tags. And then when you go up to a graffiti spot, you almost, I think the closest thing I can compare it to is like how some like Wii games might've done magic spells with gesture movements. You move the analog stick around this circle and the pattern you create corresponds to a piece of graffiti you've unlocked. So you've got some control of how you leave your mark on this world. And the sense of flow and exploration is 
incredible. Coming into a new district and looking around and just trying to work out, well, how does this mess of pipes and railings and billboards that I can wall grind over, how do they come together in a way that forms a consistent path to some of the harder reaching uh, harder to reach mm. areas where I can graffiti and trying to uncover all of the different spots for graffiti to to fully you know rinse this area of everything it contains is fantastic that sense of flow that sense of exploration I'm really big into my games that have a distinct beautiful sense of flow fantastic bomber cyberfunk does not want you to play the game like that in a way that I find so frustrating that it's sort of ruined it for me I was gonna say where's the butt yeah, Where's the it's butt? A, like the song that repeats ass, the butt on this is very large. <laughs> so I appreciate that. The one. police, thank you. Police in Jet Set Radio was a really core part of that game where they would chase you down and the, the militant ways in which they would try and get you to stop being a graffiti artist was like comically exaggerated to prove a point, right? Like they are incredibly violent against these people who are not doing you know it's a victimless crime right mm. and what what's really nice about bomber cyberpunk as well is there's this idea of there is like a rule of the streets where the old heads who are these old hip-hop uh this old <laughs> hip-hop trio will govern to make sure that everything's above board and then you have the police who come in and, and not you know they're not abiding to any rules they are trying to kill you for doing nothing more than graffitiing and skating around a shopping center but <laughs> The problem with the game is, is that it has like a Grand Theft Auto style wanted meter. So every time you graffiti after a couple of times, the level of police presence in the map will escalate. Mm. So it starts off with, it's just cops on the ground with batons. Although later in the game, they get guns and can shoot you from a distance, which is so irritating. And then the second one is this machine that fires claws at you, which grab hold of you and try and pull you off the railings. And Mm. you can trick to remove the chains but you've got to keep tricking to remove them and then it just keeps getting worse from there like armored people helicopters snipers snipers yeah what i will say actually the helicopters and the boss battles what i like about those fights is they're an extension of the movement and the graffiti system so you take them down Mm. by grinding or gaining air and then using the graffiti to defeat them so it's encouraging the same play that the game revolves around but everything else is determined to just make you stop it's determined to hurt you, to knock you on the ground, to break your floor. And it just runs counter to the thing about the game that makes it great. And I'm at a point now where I'm trying to find all the graffiti in a map. And once you finish a district, one piece of graffiti will set the wanted meter off and then two more will get it to the next one. And you can't move without flooding the map with police. I think it's quite a clumsy implementation. I really wanted to love this game and it felt like the game did not want me to love it. Now, Mm. don't get me wrong. I think having a plot line about the extreme methods police forces will use against diverse groups not doing anything is a really important message to have in 2023, but it does feel like a bad game mechanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm sort of like I'm at a point where this ga- with this game where I'm like I absolutely love it, but it, it I'm fighting against it at every turn, and it's got to the point now where as soon as the police spawn, I put down the controller and I die because it's quicker to die and get rid of them completely than it is to engage with the game's like system yeah. for getting rid of them. Yeah. So yeah, Rachel, I'd absolutely love to know what your thoughts are on this because you did a great review of this for the Escapist and it seemed like you, you were a bit warmer on it than I am. Combat sucks. The combat is awful. This That's game so is great. The combat sucks. 
It's, it's and so you know bad. what? It's like, yeah, it's yeah. I love how you described it. It like feels like too cool. Um, and it kind of mm. is like that with these mechanics. Like I feel like it could have gone through a number of more playtests. I feel like the mm. the the vision is there. This is a love letter to a love letter to street culture. Like everything oh, yeah, from absolutely. the graffiti and the music choices and the streetwear. Like what they wearing. The outfits <gasps> are amazing. So good. The dog wearing the bucket hat and like yes. the top. The Doberman. So good. Yeah. Even like like dance moves. Like locations. Mm-hmm. Like the mall is like my favorite level and i love this idea yeah, about a group of teenagers level. just like ransacking a mall by like through bmxing and skateboarding but yep. yeah the the combat sucks i've not enjoyed any of like the one-on-one boss fights that have happened i haven't i haven't been under like like challenged myself to complete an area through like tagging mm. every spot so i've not had that experience of them seriously like between like two or three tags they're on like they're on your case is that the idea because with me it was a bit more lenient because i didn't i would, wouldn't stay in an area too long i would just move along with the story um yeah quite quickly. if you move along with the story the police don't turn up until yeah you trigger certain events so basically you've got a tag an area and then battle individual members of the crew and then you do like a big score attack but once you finish an area so like i said the the first area if you go back to that and you've got like 80 graffiti spots to still do Mm -hmm. from that point it's almost like the police are more aware because you've already tagged most of it and then yeah you tag one and the police are on your ass it's it it feels like the thing with this game though i feel like it's it's this game that's so that's so too cool. It's like yeah, you didn't get it, and I'm like, I kind of want to yeah, get it, but also yeah, that's how I feel. I do feel like I'm. Like, I'm God, an old is man. it me? Yes. Yeah, but like, I don't, I don't think it's me. This is an issue that I'm finding with so many games at the moment, though. Is that like, there is a drive to completionism, and then like the completionism isn't rewarded. Yeah, like, it's a really mm. hard balance to strike and also like this will always be my soapbox as well you don't need combat in every game and i feel like a lot of games add it Uh, to mm -hmm. be video games in inverted commas and it's like you just don't need to to do that just leave it it's fine it kind of comes back as well to what we were saying earlier about like just adding one element too many and suddenly a game's too busy but this is the thing with bomb rush is that the combat is needed these right. run-ins with it's an anti-authoritarian game so these yes. run-ins with the police are like are necessary so 100% that that sentiment i'm totally on board but it's mm. like with this game it's almost like this is a really important factor about the story and you yeah. know reflections of reality and how yeah. it's totally bonkers and unfair and unjustified this these encounters are not justified at all and you feel that but ultimately it's it's not it i don't know i feel like it misses the mark as as the person who's not played it here it feels almost like it's that it's that wanted meter that's kind of tripping it up Mm. like if the police encounters were more scripted or more sort of like maybe you know just weren't triggered so easily it would it would feed the theme a lot better you were completely right i think the way that it could be not fixed because I can't make a game, so I've got well, no exactly. reason to say this. But <laughs> I know what you mean. I think what might have made it a bit more palatable is the storyline involving the police. Spot on, really good, really mm. well crafted, really fun, and some good characters in there, and also you know has some good observations about the real world as well. Keep the boss battles in because I think they're an extension of the movement system, and 
in the levels, just make it so the police run around, but they're really easy to like topple over. Make them comically useless. Yes. Mm. And make them like a fun element that you're like, oh, I'm happy they're showing up now because maybe you can like do combo multipliers by tricking over them or knocking them over while wheeling. Smart. That would have been cool. Mm. You know what I mean? Don't have them hit me with chains and pull me off a railing when I'm trying to like finish a level. Like, yeah, anyway, I I feel really conflicted about this. Team Reptile, you are like 90% of the way there. Just make a straight sequel to this. And I reckon you've got a 10 out of 10 game on your hands. I really do. But as it stands right now, it left me a little bit cold in a way that was like more frustrating because I loved it. Like if it was Mm. mid all the way down, I wouldn't be talking about it. But as it stands, like... I still do think this is worth buying. I still think people have fun with it. I just think you need to go in with this expectation that there's parts of it that are quite frustrating. And yeah. Anyway, that's my bomb rush rant. (laughs) (laughs) I love how we're like, oh, I have a criticism of this game. Sorry. Sorry. Oh God, am I wrong? Oh God, is it me? We're so sorry. Like, Uh, it's just it's our so personalities real. it's so real oh, i mean it's it, like yeah. you said though it's like none of us have ever you know well i suppose we some of us have played around with the very low level sort of game design but we haven't like shipped an actual commercial <laughs> game oh, and you do feel like not. No. yeah <laughs> nah. like it, here's how you fix it it's like no no i'm not trying to, i'm not trying to be that guy as well <laughs> right <laughs> so i think funny. that ends our um yes. two hour oh my goodness about I mean, no, listeners, you can tell we have not been able to chat for a while about indie games. This has been very cathartic for me. I don't know how it's been for you two, but it's I'm been... I'm so happy we're back. Uh, it's been so me nice. Me too. We're so back. So, speaking of being back, shall we move on to legally distinct hyperfixation? <laughs> Is it legally distinct if you just say legally distinct beforehand? Yeah, I think I so. I mean, yeah. Loophole lawyers. <laughs> Rachel, I would love to know what your first hyperfixation of indie venture is. Well, I had a third option for our section of indie games, so I'm going to shove it in here instead because I've been playing oh, Gunbrella. And oh my goodness! I, yes. Yeah, this game is. But I think I think it suits hyperfixation because I'm only about an hour and a half in out of what yeah, feels counts. like a six to seven hour, maybe even shorter. Actually, it kind of feels like that kind of game, mm-hmm. but I'm mm. only very like early in the game but yeah i've been proper excited for this game for so long this idea that you're playing as this like gruff no-name nonsense guy who has a brolly that's also an umbrella is just such a fucking fun idea i love the world building it feels very gritty there's gangsters there's cultists the idea is you're navigating your way through this very sinister world trying to work out who made this contraption that you're using to ultimately like kill a bunch of people. Um, bad guys though, they are bad guys. But the the absolutely, the, the highlight of this game is the platforming. It is a platformer. This, this brolly can do so much fucking cool shit. It can, you can open it up and so you're able to glide. There are zip lines that you can zip line on. You can boost um, the, the, if you, open it at certain times it will deflect bullets and incoming missiles so it's a shield it's like the most multi-purpose tool that i've ever seen in a video game this one thing does everything (laughs) and kind of like with bomberish the fluidity if you kind of like chain a bunch of these moves together you feel invincible you're just like i i this me and this contraption are one 
Me and this oh, machine. I love that. Okay. Nice. Yeah, this kind of like brown smudge of a world is just you don't feel bad for like participating in what essentially is like you clearing out a cultist den or you clearing out a gangster's their hideout underground because they've kidnapped the mayor and I've not quite got to the point where and this is my one thing with it at the moment actually is that there's a lot of world building but I actually don't know what the main pull of the story is so far um, but again, only an hour and a half in. All I know is that something because of my past means that I now need to find the person who made this like dangerous machine. And yeah, I'm loving it. That's Interesting. Just that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know you've been excited for this all year, so I'm glad that it's... Yes. Also, yeah. I was really worried it's going to be too difficult for me. Uh, there are three difficulty settings, so I whapped it onto easy. And Hell I'm yeah. Oh, great nice. time. Yeah. So... That's, I'm really happy to hear that because mm-hmm. a, a similar game different developer but published by devolver katana zero was oh my very God. similar but that was really difficult never and finished it yeah oh. i can see why really tough going that game well even like hotline miami has like some intense difficulty yes. spikes. yeah and one very intense difficulty spike called hotline miami 2 <laughs> God. yeah i i'm very happy to hear it has an easy mode because yeah Good. more people can so a lot it. of the a lot of the enemies are one shot like it's it's quite easy i was quite surprised at just how easy it was you have unlimited yeah. ammo um you oh, a lot of okay. the yeah a lot of the enemies are one shot some of them are two i think if you play normal di- di- difficulty that element of um ammo management becomes quite a bigger thing enemies mm. take more hits there are boss fights in this game i think again a lot of them People have been talking about they're not that difficult, even on normal. On easy, they're a bit of a piss take. But again, they are very cool, visually um, Mm -hmm. very strange. This world, again, deals in cultists and also in like fleshy monsters that are a bit weird and sewage creatures that are... So there's that element of it. It's like something has polluted this world and these kind of beings are coming out of that and yeah it's great oh, I, I, fi- I, I finish every sentence this. with it's great because I, I i need to <laughs> cut myself great. off i need to cut myself out, otherwise i will keep talking it's great <laughs> well let's when you're done with it let's because i've got a code for it as well so let's cycle back yes. oh yeah definitely let's talk about it for sure rebecca Hello. What is your hyperfixation oh yes. so my hyperfixation at the moment is um a series of books called the Montague Siblings Trilogy by Mackenzie Lee. Ooh. In fact, Ooh. <laughs> I just Tell literally this morning finished the first one, which is, you might have heard of it, called um, The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. Oh, what a name. They all have titles Never like that. Um, but basically, through various uh, shenanigans and, and vague vibes that I don't need to go into right now, I just really needed some like queer affirming historical fiction in my life. Um, oh yes and i found this book uh, it was on an audible sale so mm-hmm. i bought it on a bit of an impulse because i always i'd seen it in like waterstones and i kind of avoided it before because it looked a bit like too on the nose for my taste in a lot of ways <laughs> oh but really given the opportunity to get it for like three quid i was like yeah i'll get it and listen to it um and yeah i really enjoyed it i will admit actually i'd, I'd already decided to talk about this as my hyperfixation and i have literally this morning bought the second book in the series to listen to while i'm on holiday mm-hmm. The end of the first book, at the very end, did pull out a trope that kind of slightly knocked the shine off it for me a little bit, but not so much that I'm not fully committed to finishing the series, if that makes sense. It knows what it is, and it really leans into it the whole time. So it's basically about a young bisexual man in the 1700s 
but it's like oh it's very much not gonna be sort of grimly accurate it's gonna be like Mm. fun it's gonna be like if Jane Austen wrote queer characters it's gonna be like adventure novel because it's boring if everyone's just kind of going around doing you know comedy of manners so it kind of takes a hard turn into sort of like a a a very period accurate sort of like romantic thriller um (gasps) and and because i i used to i used to study uh that sort of that that era of the english novel at uni and so i was really interested to see it go like the adventure novel route and the very pulpy route um Ah. it's like the character the sort of point of view character is such a dickhead but you do kind of love him because at the end of the day he is like 18 years old and he's got no fucking clue how to deal with anything in the real world so you do kind of get on side with him and i think as well the um because i listened to an audible the the performance helped a lot he just really right, okay. nailed the, the tone of this guy um and you do end up rooting for him and it's it's basically it's about him um his childhood best friend who is um the mixed race illegitimate son of another lord who they've been like friends since childhood and they've sort of fallen in love but they're being very awkward teenagers about it and then it's also about the main guy's younger sister who is a 15 year old girl who just wants to be a doctor but she's a 15 year old girl in the 1700s and so no one will let her be a doctor Um, oh my god it's just them having like very sort of romancing the stone style (laughs) adventures on the continent and it's it's just silly, pulpy fun, but it was just really what I needed because I just I just read um, another historical fiction book with queer characters that was like very accurate to the sort of realities of the period, and it kind of like left me feeling really sad. Oh. And so oh, I was no. like, I need something like really stupid and cheerful to take my mind off this. And it was stupid and cheerful and took my mind off it until the end, where it kind of went a little bit dark for reasons that I thought were a little bit maybe not oh. entirely justified, not enough to ruin it, but enough to be like. I was a little uncomfortable with the turn it took right at the end there, but I'm still going to read the rest of the series. The next book is about, is the younger sister's point of view as she tries to become a doctor and she once again ends up embroiled in this like international espionage thing because she really just wants a letter of recommendation from a German doctor so she can go to medical school, but she's going to go through all of these other like shenanigans to get it. And yeah, so the Montague Siblings trilogy by Mackenzie Lee, it's it's good fun. Um, I had dismissed it on the basis that it looked a bit too silly, but I'm glad I gave it a chance. I'd never heard of this. It it looks really good. Same. From what you've said. Yeah, I'm going to have to read that. What did you say? If Jane Austen wrote queer characters. Yeah, basically. Sold. Sold. (laughs) Bang my gavel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? That's what we we want in life. Yeah. I... I'm going to read the shit out of that, yeah. Out of um, that. Uh, what, the hyperfixation uh, section, or the hyperfixation equivalent of add to wish list is add to Goodreads for me. I actually, <laughs> I've been meaning to ask you for ages, Liam. Like, at some point, I'm going to DM you and ask to add you on Goodreads because I need to see your book collection. <laughs> oh my God, Liam's, Liam's very sad and traumatic book club. Yeah, and then you can the, well. read my cheery, oh my like, God. young adult pulp novel collection and we can swap and I can become cultured again and you can read some like uplifting stuff and not always well, be said uh, he is a nice little segue because no, I oh my god oh brilliant yes! this is so great this is <laughs> right not only did Liam read a sad book Liam read a sad young adult book that I think oh. Rebecca specifically will like oh, okay Ooh. 
So I actually have two hyperfixations. I'm very sorry. One of them is very brief. But the first one is a book called Lonely Castle in the Mirror by, I'm going to butcher their name, Mizuki Sujimura. It's a Japanese book that was translated into English a few years ago. And it is just one of the most beautiful books I have read in maybe my entire life. Yoli bought this on a whim and then finished, just just devoured it and then just basically threw it at me and was like, you need to read this book. You're going to love it. So it's about a very young girl. I think she's early teens called Kokoro who doesn't go to school. She doesn't go to school. She can't go to school every day. Her mum says, you're going to try to go to school today. And she says, no, I don't think I'll be able to. And one day the mirror in her bedroom starts to glow and she steps through it and enters this magical castle where there are six other kids of the same age and a young girl in a wolf mask who says in this castle there is a key to the wishing room one of you can find the key and then I'll grant you one wish you've got until March the next year to find this and the book is just about these kids going to this school every day interacting with each other sort of debating to what the wish would be, why they're there. It's very Japanese in like culturally mm. in the way that it presents society and the way the children interact with each other. There's a lot about like calling them sensei and chan and, you know, sort mm-hmm. of how they grow and develop with each other. It's so beautiful. I really can't tell you how just beautiful it is as a book. It, it It's just so well paced. The characters are just so polite and lovable. And it has one of an all-timer endings, is what I'll say. Oh, okay. It sounds, I've got to read that. It sounds fantastic. Yes, you do. I, I <laughs> think I've seen the front cover. It's pink, right? With the girl on it, with the wolf? It is, yeah. Yeah, that's a cute, that's a good front cover. Quite a few people, when I've talked to them about it, they've said, oh, I think I've seen the cover of that in Waterstones. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's very recognisable. So yeah, there you go. This that has been- amazing. That sounds, that sounds so good. good. It's so good. This has been a, a regular section. Uh, this will become a section <laughs> of this podcast called Liam's Read a Sad Book. <laughs> my my second hyperfixation, very briefly, is Only Murders in the Building, which... Oh, yeah! Yeah, I I think is like, it's fine. I, I like it a lot, <laughs> but I don't think it's like groundbreaking television. It's just, it's a murder mystery starring Martin Short, Selena Gomez and Steve Martin. Um, a great trio of actors, by the way. Like, they work together so well. Yeah. It's it's just about these three people who live in this big house in New well, big apartment complex in New York called the Arconia. And season one is uh, the old love the old love like a podcast that's like serial mm-hmm. and someone mm-hmm. dies in their building, they decide to, to make a podcast. Uh one of the funniest jokes off the show is that their podcast is really naff. Um, <laughs> oh. Even though the murder that they're trying to solve is really funny. Uh mm. maybe, maybe it's a bit too close to home for a trio mm. of podcasters here. Um <laughs> But you know what? The thing I'm really obsessed with is I think it has one of the best like opening title songs ever. I, I what just, is it? I mean, I'll, I'll play a little snippet here for our listeners. Oh. There's something about it that I think just is so warm and so comforting. 
that whenever I'm watching an episode and, and that title theme plays and it's got these beautiful harmonies and I think it just conveys the, the coziness of the show so well. It's like, it's like getting a nice warm hug from your television every time the show starts. Aww. And we're, we're, we're halfway through season two. I think season two is as good as season one. It just makes me laugh. It's just nice comfort food television. Um, Cute. So yeah, Only Murders in the Building. It's on Disney Plus if you want to give some money to the mouse. <laughs> I knew it was on one of my to-watch lists. Disney yeah. Plus. Mm. I I think the reason why I, I, I agree with you, it's not like sensational, but it's very funny. I'm a big Steve Martin fan. And yeah. I, I think for me is like I watched... My dad is also a big fan. And I feel like for mm. Steve Martin, he did a bunch of comedies that were like literally legendary. And then he got like kind of robed into these really shitty American cheaper by the dozen. How um, dare you? The, ba- the babysitter. <laughs> Girl. The, um, the baby, like kind of like, I don't know, really yeah. cheap American comedies. And then he kind of went away. And this is yeah. kind of his first like return. Mm-hmm. And for me specifically, like I like the other two. I like, I mean, it's Selena Gomez. What can you say? Um, but... I just feel like for him, it's like he's not playing like a, a funny person. He's mm. he's quite a melancholy character. Yeah, and he's I brilliant. just and there's just this sadness to him, like that yeah. I think is just really good. Like the same way that you were talking about, like Steve Carell earlier, like post like um, Little Miss Sunshine. I feel like there was like another side to this person, like oh. he was presumably like super funny. And Steve Martin, like this is his like he is still funny in it, but there's like a, a sadness to him, and I feel like it's really great. I, and I'm very happy you are for him. Right. Yeah. God damn it! If he gets cancelled, and is he cancelled? I no, literally yeah, I don't think he's been cancelled. No, okay. Him and if Martin he gets cancelled, I'm so worried about shit like that. I'm like, oh yeah. god, you talk about you talk about a man who's like in in something like famous, whatever, and then like a month later he's cancelled because he's been yeah. texting underage. You know, <laughs> he. I was gonna say he seems like the kind of does he. I don't know. Steve Martin. I, I can't, you know what? I, I don't know. trust anyone. Yeah, I know. Right? I the do trust not is trust anyone. <laughs> but I'm still a fan yeah. of him. I yeah. I the reason I watched a lot of this show was because I just like him as an actor. And uh, I, it, welcome back, because Jesus Christ, some of those films he was in were. I love the Pink Panther though. Don't get me wrong. I love the Pink Panther film with him in it. I will I not apologise. Watched that one. I've watched all of the originals. My dad was super into the the. OG That's Pink the Panther thing. Films, so. It's awful it is honestly <laughs> terrible as a as like a reimagining of um peter oh, i can't remember his oh, name the peter, peter sellers. sellers i thought yes yes, yes i yes. had a brain fart there and i thought you meant the peter sellers ones no the steve martin ones are dog shit right <laughs> okay like- okay they're, they're terrible <laughs> but they're also kind of i have a lot i do, do I, I have do to like separate you two beyonce beyonce was in it <laughs> i mean sure. it can't be dog shit yes Beyonce was it? Even it the first or second one, I saw both. So did you really? In, She's definitely I mean, in one of them. It's probably quite entertainingly. Hold fine. on, it's like the um the new Wicker Man, right? I get you. Because, I think like, it is. Shit. I okay, it's like, not the Wicker Man levels of oh, shit. No, no, no. But come on, come on, come on. You've got the original Wicker Man, like a, an absolute icon of horror cinema. Shouldn't have been remade. But Nick Cage in a bear suit punching a woman in the jaw for reasons I can't remember it's just there are moments in that remake that live in my head like it's the complete opposite end of the emotional scale to the original one which is like a very deeply emotional horror film and then on the other hand you've got nick cage in the fucking bear suit hey uh, when the bees were in his eyes i really felt that you know i mean it was very emotional you really sold that moment have you seen someone on youtube has has done 
um, like a slow mo version of him running in the bear suit with the, <laughs> the like. I oh, not. I can't remember the piece of music. What the name of the piece of music is? It's the one that they always put over like slow mo things of like people running to the finish line. Oh, Chariots of Fire! Chariots of Fire! Oh, yes, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, well done, you two, for really testing my seventies knowledge so with Peter Sellers and Chariots of Fire here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I do. Wow. I do think that there is room. There is room in the world for a brilliant original and a dodgy remake. Sometimes I don't think I've seen the new Pink Panthers, so I I cannot attest to that one personally. But... They must co- coexist. Maybe I'll just watch the Pink Panther. Also, yeah, Beyonce agree. is in the first one. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Nice. Yeah. Go Beyonce <laughs> in her brief stint in acting. Wasn't she in Austin, one of the Austin Powers as well? She, she was, was in Austin Powers Number. 3, yeah. Yeah. She was also in a really rank film about... We don't need to... I'm going to I'm gonna find it. Hold on. Beyonce movies. She was in a really <laughs> rank, movies? like, Obsessed. <laughs> Do you ever watch Obsessed? No. No? <laughs> I got time to Beyonce movies. Ali Larter and Beyonce Knowles. Yeah. Oh, what does that have on IMDb? I've never well, heard of this film. 19% of Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Idris Elba. Oh, no. It was like doing? pre-Luther Idris Elba though, so I think it kind of like flew under the radar. Oh, for okay. It's rolling obsessed. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us on our fresh indie venture. The fact that you are here means the absolute world to the three of us. I, More than yes. anything, we're just happy to be back chatting shit to each other about games that we love to play. The fact that you're here and you're listening, it honestly, it's, it's very humbling we appreciate it so much uh, and if you have carried over from a previous podcast that will not be named double we thanks love you. two thanks hey we love you yeah yes. why not we love you we i love at your you. wedding <laughs> <laughs> wedding if you can if you can prove you listen to both podcasts uh, the three of us will attend your wedding and sit on the top table instead of your parents <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah oh my god Sorry. Yes, so, thank you so much. Have you made it's... it to the end as well? Oh know, my right? god, so many shenanigans! Uh, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, um, right, seriously, thank you. It's been it's been so lovely to be able to get back together and do this again. There were moments where I forgot we were recording a podcast. That's probably going to carry over. Sam, um, yeah, it's will. been so much fun. It's eleven o'clock at night. It's still quite warm. It is quite warm. It's tired. I can't believe we've recorded a podcast until 11 p.m. That's, that's not right, is it? That's illegal. Yeah, baby. This new is... chapter, new podcast, new yeah. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Indie Venture After Dark. So because this is episode one, uh, I don't have like an outro plan. So what I will say is if you want to get in touch with us, watch this space. I guess, what should the email be? We haven't even bought the domain yet. What? Mm, probably just Indie Venture Podcast. What about uh, hello at contact at yeah yeah hello hello at indieventure.co.uk how's that sound done sounds good yeah, on Twitter okay. on, on Twitter if it's still around and it hasn't yeah. imploded yet not <laughs> calling blue it sky. Shit. At yeah blue. at uh, indieventure podcast. at indieventure I guess yeah we're, yeah we're gonna sort this out you know this is quite rough and tumble um but I mean I've I a bit of inside baseball listeners I haven't even left RPS yet I'm still working there but that's how desperate Ooh. we are to record this podcast <laughs> by the time you listen to this I'll have left but thank you so much for listening we'll be back in a fortnight's time with more good indie takes and lovely shenanigans uh, but until then it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from Rebecca goodbye and goodbye from Rachel goodbye thank you bye bye, bye.